Welcome to episode 38 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on June 25th, 2017. My name is Brad Galloway, and I am the editor at GameCritics.com. I am also 50% of this here show, and with me as always, that other 50%, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How's it going, Corey? I was going to try to think of a joke about how, like, I'm only, like, 40% and that there's, like, 10% of something else, but I couldn't think of anything quick enough, so now you get me making a lame excuse at trying to think of a joke and failing miserably. God, what would that 10% be? I don't know. Maybe, like, the raw sexual energy that you and I both, like, put together to come forth in this show. I mean, Maybe. That seems more like a 12, maybe 15% kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll work on that joke. We'll workshop it. We'll be back next week with a a more correct percentage, uh, dear (laughs) listeners. Um, Anyway, as you know, or as as frequent listeners know, and I hope you are a frequent listener, uh, but if you're not, welcome. Welcome. I don't know why you chose to start listening now, but we're glad you did. If you did, if not, welcome back. Anyway, we usually get this show rolling with our traditional few minutes of unnecessary banter that's not necessarily game-related. And we also have comments from listeners this week. Uh, We will get to those comments near the end of the show. But before we get into our banter, it is Pride Weekend here in Seattle. And we want to wish a happy Pride to all of our L, G, B, T, and Q friends out there. We love you so much. And we are here for you. Solidarity. Um, Happy, happy Pride. Uh, Oh, and also, just a quick reminder that people who don't want to hear the banter section uh, can check the show notes for a timestamp and jump ahead to the actual game content if they don't want to hear our super interesting personal life non-game related <laughs> chatter. I don't know why you wouldn't want to hear that, but if you don't want to hear it, and I know that there's some people out there, uh, like good old Final Max Storm, can't stand this stuff, uh, jump ahead, jump ahead. We put that in there for you uh, because we live to serve. And now, with that, let's just jump right into things tonight. we got a packed show. Uh, let's do some banter. Corey, what do you want to banter about this week? Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm like the worst gay man ever because I didn't even think about uh, talking about Pride. And it's kind of funny because I feel like some people might not realize that the entire month of June is Pride Month. And so the appropriate thing probably would have been for me like three weeks ago to have been like, oh, it's June now. Happy Pride Month. Like now we can talk about gay stuff for a little while for the rest of the month. But I totally forgot about it. And I feel extra bad because... Like, this is the weekend where, like, most of the big cities around the world celebrate Pride all at the same time. But uh, New Orleans, where I live, actually celebrated Pride weekend. I think it was, like, last weekend or the weekend before. And I sort of accidentally ended up doing nothing for Pride weekend. Like, it's my first uh, Pride month in New Orleans. And they have a parade. Like, most big cities have some kind of parade or something like that. And what happened was uh, Patrick... Uh, thought that the parade was on Sunday night. And so we were all like prepping to go to that. And he had signed up to do like a pride event through his work because they had like a, they had like a sponsored booth at some like friends and family pride, like thing that was going on um, somewhere in the city. So he went to that and ended up getting like rained out like pretty early in, which is kind of sad, but, uh, um, But we come to find out whenever he came home on Sunday afternoon from the Pride event thing that he went for for his work, the Pride Parade was on Saturday night. So he and I totally 100% missed 
the Pride Parade because uh, he thought it was a day off, and I never looked it up on my own because I was like, oh, cool, it's Sunday, and I just kind of went with it. And so, yeah, my first uh, first time in New Orleans, which is like a pretty big city for like partying and parades and stuff like that, um, totally, totally missed the boat on Pride Month. I'm like the worst gay man ever. Oh, man, that is pretty bad. Did they deduct some gay points from your gay card, or how does that work? <laughs> Um, it's actually a secret among the, um, society of gay men, of gay men. And I cannot tell you, Brad, or else I would be, I would fully violate my contract with homosexuals. I'm sure that the penalty is stiff. So hopefully you're not gonna, (laughs) hopefully you're not going to be in too much trouble. Uh, you know, I will try to remind you next year for some pride activities. We'll get you out there next time. Please do. Well, oh, what, what else you got, man? What else you got besides pride fail? Um, well, I have another fail to talk about. Um, oh no, oh no, I know, that's I know. two fails in the same show. I know, I'm getting off to like not a very great start, but um, you know, I every week when we talk about banter, I swear I'm like, oh, nothing exciting happened in my life today. It's either me saying that or it's saying, oh, guess what? I photographed some people the other day and I get to combine both of those today. So it's like, a, this is like a, a bifecta of two things, um, if there is such a thing. <laughs> I, uh, so I was photographing at the skate park yesterday. Um, last Wednesday was, uh, this kind of like faux holiday called go skate day. And it's basically just like an excuse for skaters around the country or maybe around the world, um, to just have kind of like a skate jam at their local skate parks or skate at their city park or whatever. And it's been raining like crazy in new Orleans for like the past entire week because there's a tropical storm. Um, off the coast of Louisiana. I, th- I believe um, her name is Cindy this time around. Um, tropical storm, insert white lady name here. This time it's Cindy. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it didn't turn into like a full-fledged hurricane or anything, but we've been getting a ton of rain. And I mean, I'm sure you live in Seattle, so I don't have to tell you about, you know, off and on rain, but like, it'll be like totally fine one minute and then like a torrential downpour for an hour and then, you know, done for five minutes and then a total downpour. And so there's a skate shop downtown called humidity, uh, which is, you know, appropriate. And, um, they, uh, they were hosting a best trick competition, um, in the jam and they postponed the, their skate competition thing until Saturday, yesterday. So, and of course it still rained, like we all were hoping it, it wouldn't, but it actually ended up being an all right day. But the point of the story is that I finally did the thing that I knew that was going to happen since I started doing action photography about a year ago. I was all up in my photographing stance. I was photographing um, skateboarders uh, skating in like a bowl type area, which is really hard to do because like it's hard to know where they're going to go and where they're going to do tricks in a bowl because they can kind of go everywhere and you know anywhere because the the bowl situation at, at Parasite which is a skateboard uh, park I photograph at here is very big um in my opinion at least uh and I was photographing a guy named Terrell and he's like a really really good skateboarder um and he he kept trying to get this trick over and over and over again and just couldn't quite get it <laughs> And eventually he came up on the side of the bowl and his skateboard launched directly into my camera slash into my face kind of because I would shoot with, you know, my camera up to my eye. So I I always knew this was going to happen someday. And, you know, it's one of those things where you never quite know how you're going to handle it because, I mean, there's a billion things that could happen like... 
you know, I could have been seriously injured or he could have been seriously injured or my camera lens, which is like, I don't know, like five or $600, my nice wide lens that I used, that could have been ruined. My camera body could have been ruined. Um, you know, there's a bunch of shit that could have happened, but the good news is that although his skateboard rocketed directly into my camera, which is pressed against my face, and my, um, basically it hit the camera. I, I turned my head to the side as like a recoil. My glasses flew off my face, like probably like, you know, 20 feet away. One of the lenses flew out of my glasses. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, it was ridiculous. But the, the, the amazing thing is that nothing, all of my camera gear was fine. I have like a built-in hood on the, on my, um, camera lens and part of my hood chipped on the left side and that really doesn't affect anything so that was fine it wasn't like my lens glass cracking and I like slid down the side of the bowl and picked up my glasses which somehow did not break uh, and I picked up my lens for my glasses and I just popped my lens right back into the glasses and I wiped you know them off because I always carry like a lint-free cloth around with me um, in case I need to wipe my glasses down and everything was fine um, literally came away without a scratch, like no, not even a headache, no bruising, no, no nothing. It was like, my camera was like my Wonder Woman shield in front of my face and it protected me from this skateboard flying straight at me. But the, the crazy thing is that I actually have the picture of it because I shoot in burst fire. So as he came up the ramp, I took like a three shot burst or a four shot burst and I have like the picture sequence of him coming up. And then the last picture is like the skateboard, like right up in the lens. So it's pretty incredible, but um, yeah, it was kind of wild, but I just like, I'm glad that nobody was hurt. I'm glad that my camera's fine. I'm glad that my glasses didn't break. I mean, luckily I have like several pairs of glasses. So if they had broken, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, but they are my favorite glasses. So that would have been sad. Um, I, it's yeah. funny. I was, I was actually going to ask if you had like those amazing shots. I think you posted a couple on Twitter, but I was envisioning like if you had been having your, your camera on rapid fire, like would you have like a hundred shots of like that skateboard, like getting closer and closer and closer and closer. <laughs> and then it eventually smacked you. I mean, what, what happened afterwards? Did, uh, did he come up? I mean, was he hurt? Did, what, did you guys uh, hug it out afterwards? Or what happened? <laughs> um, he was not hurt. So that was good. Um, and as skateboarders for the most part, I've learned that they just seem to be like, their bodies must be made of like rubber and they're like seemingly impervious to injuries. I know that's not true because I've seen like skateboarding injuries, but like all the guys I photographed, like they, I mean, they, they know how to bail, like they know how to fall down. They know how to roll out of stuff. They know how to fall correctly in order to like not hurt themselves. So he was totally fine. He's also a really good skateboarder. So, I mean, he like knows his shit and, um, but he did, he, he like, you know, got up in the middle of the bowl and came up and he was like, Hey, I'm really sorry. And I was like, it's okay. I, I don't think anything's hurt. And then like, 10 minutes later, after he finished skating a little bit more, he, like, apologized again. And I was like, hey, you know, it's it's no big deal. Like, you know, no, neither of us were hurt. My camera's not seriously injured. Um, you know, it's still, everything's fine. But it, it kind of leads me to wonder, like, what like what I would do in a situation if, like, my camera actually got ruined. Because, like, I mean, like, shooting sports is kind of, like, a thing where you know the risks. Like, I go to the skate park. I know that something bad could happen. But it's like, what do you do? Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm going to sue you to pay for my lens. Because, I mean, all the kids I shoot are like 16 to 20, probably, roughly. So I, I don't know, like, what am I going to do? Like, call his mom and be like, oh, your son 
his skateboard rocketed into my camera and broke it. So luckily I didn't have to deal with that, but, and hopefully that day will never come. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of a, kind of a crazy coincidence thing, uh, I guess. I wonder if you could, um, get that added to your, like renter's insurance, if you have renter's insurance, because, you know, I don't know how many people know this, but if you get renter's insurance, it can cover a wide variety of things. Um, sometimes it's only the stuff that's in your apartment, but sometimes not. It really depends. And if you have a home, if you own a home, I do not own a home. I used to, not anymore. But if you do and you get homeowner's insurance, you can also kind of like have that be an umbrella for other things that you own as well. Maybe you should look into that just on the off chance that, you know, if it ever happens again and if it's more damaging to your camera, maybe your insurance policy would pick that up. I don't know if they would cover it. I don't know like what the, you know, the statutes covering that are. I mean, who knows? Maybe not. But, you know, might be worth looking into. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea um, because Patrick and I have always rented places. We don't own any any uh, like real estate yet, and we've never gotten renter's insurance. And it's that thing that's always in the back of my head, like one of those adult things that I always ignore where I'm like, you know, all we have to do is sign up for it. Like it's not – like I don't think it's that expensive. Um, but oh, it's, just, it's cheap, dude. It's dirt cheap. It's yeah. so cheap. You've got no excuse not to have some. you got to have some. So, and now that we live in a state that's, like, hurricane and, like, seasonal storm and, like, flooding prone, it's probably, like, more important than ever that we have renter's insurance. But I know also that uh, Amazon itself, because I got the lens, Patrick got me the lens on Amazon. Um, I know Amazon has a, like, if you buy stuff like that, you can get, like, not an insurance policy, but you can pay extra for like a, like a lifetime warranty or like a 10 year warranty or something like that. And I can't remember if he got the warranty on that lens or not, but I'm pretty sure they're, I, I hope I'm not mistaken when I say this, but I feel like their, their, uh, warranty is like, they cover like everything. Like, even if you have like a TV and you like accidentally drop it and it breaks or something like that, I'm pretty sure it covers like everything or maybe they have like different tiers or something. Um, I should look into that, too, to see what I can do as far as uh, Amazon goes for protecting it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Sometimes those policies are only good when you actually buy the thing because they figure if you buy something and you're buying the policy like nine months later, oh, you just busted it. And now you want to come back and have a place <laughs> for free. So you might be stuck there. But look into it because I, I get those policies, too, when I buy something that's a big ticket item. Granted, very rare that I buy something that's a big ticket item. I think the last time I did was like when I got a brand new TV and that was a couple years ago. So, yeah, I figure if something goes wrong, you can pay 10, 20, sometimes 50 bucks, depending on how expensive your item is. And, and if it's a good policy, they'll replace it. So, yeah, maybe that would be something to look into, see what the options are as well. So I'm glad you're okay. Glad your camera's okay. I'm glad that uh, the skater is okay. Was his board okay? I'm assuming that was fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, his board was totally fine. I bet, I bet. All right, well, good. I'm glad no one was injured. Any other banter for you uh, this week, sir? Uh, I don't think so. That's pretty much it me um anything exciting happening in your life man i got i got lots of banter this week um Ooh, i'm hoping okay. that mac is jumping ahead because he's gonna be pissed off otherwise this is this is gonna <laughs> go on forever um i saw a couple movies this past week that i kind of want to talk about did we, we didn't talk about wonder woman last time did we or did we i mentioned that i saw it like a one or two shows ago and that i liked it but i didn't talk like about it specifically okay so i just saw it recently i must have seen it but you know since the last time we recorded otherwise i would have talked about it but i just saw it yeah, it must have been monday i think and the whole family came with me we watched it now remind me Corey, what did you what did you think of wonder woman oh i loved it i thought it was oh like basically every time diana prince kicked someone in slow motion i started crying it was very special <laughs> for me <laughs> 
I really liked it a lot too. I don't think that I cried, um, <laughs> but I can understand how you would have that reaction. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was very good. Um, I'm not generally a DC Comics fan, uh, so I de- definitely skew towards the Marvel side of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I'm not a big fan of most of the DC movies, uh, and I went into this one kind of because I wanted to support it because it is, you know, Wonder Woman. I think it's time for women to have more of a presence in theater and film, and I like superheroes in general, so why not? And, you know, the wife was excited, so I'm like, yeah, let's go check it out. And uh, it was pretty cool. I really, I thought the special effects were, were pretty special effecty. Like you said, there was a lot of, like, um, bullet time or slow motion stuff going on, like, like way more than I expected. And it was cool. It was very stylized. Um, so that was fine. It took it, it kind of caught me by surprise at first, but it was it was pretty cool. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the first Captain America movie. Have you seen the original Captain America? I've seen uh, some bits and pieces, but not the whole thing. Okay, so like it seemed. I mean, you know, definitely some differences. It's not frame for frame the same thing, but like that same feel of like um, you know special agent in the war things going on like. Even visually, some of the visuals I thought were pretty similar to Captain America, which, you know, not a criticism, but just something I noticed. I mean, it's kind of the same sort of uh, story, same sort of material. So it's, you know, probably unavoidable to have some similarities. I thought that the um, actress, I believe her name is Gal Gadot or is Gal Gadot. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I don't know which way is the, the proper pronunciation. It it's, is it's just, supposed to be Gadot because it Gadot. is not. Yeah, it's not. Most people say Gadot because we want to go French on it, but she's actually Israeli, so uh, no, no French behind it. So it's supposed to be Gadot, as far as I know. Is her actual first name really Gal? Because I find it's weird that she's a woman and she's named Gal. That's weird. <laughs> that's kind of like a that's like a guy being named Guy, which I also find weird. Is is that a real name? Do you know? Uh, God, I think so. I feel like. I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I feel like I've seen an interview where she set, where she explains what it means. Like I probably means something in like Israeli, but uh, I might be talking out of my ass right now. Cause I don't know if that's true, but I feel like maybe I've seen that before. Okay. So I don't know if that's a real name. I thought that was weird, but you know, whatever, fine. I thought she did a great job. I thought she was a very fitting wonder woman. I thought she looked the part. Uh, I appreciated that her costume While, you know, if you look at it in the comics, uh, some of the earlier versions are pretty hokey and cheesy. I thought it looked pretty cool. Uh, You know, she had a sword and a shield. Uh, Yeah, pretty badass in general. And I really liked a lot of the action. Um, Very, very good. Uh, I think that the only criticisms I have of it were criticisms that also apply to, like, all of the other DC movies as well. Because I believe that Zack Snyder had some uh, influence on this film. He did not direct uh, but I believe he was a producer or he was involved somehow before he took his leave of absence. Um, I'm not a Zack Snyder fan at all. I don't like his work. And so it kind of is a bummer to me that he has become so entrenched in the DC universe. I don't know if he's ever coming back. I mean, for people that don't know, his daughter uh, recently killed herself. And so that was, of course, a very sad thing. And, you know, condolences to the Snyder family. Um, but that that made him step back, and I believe he's he's uh, not really actively involved anymore. So maybe we'll see some change in the films. But he skews very dark. Like all of the DC films, I think are very dark visually. Um, I mean, I think they're also kind of like emo dark. But I'm talking about like when you <laughs> film it, like it's always nighttime or it's gray or brown, lots of shadows, like really dark, just kind of boring to look at sometimes. And they also take themselves really fucking seriously. Now I'm not saying that I wanted. Wonder Woman to be a comedy. Not at all. But, you know, I mean, there was, like, maybe, like, one, maybe two laughs in the whole movie. Like, a little bit more um, levity. 
you know, not like a pratfall or anything, but, you know, the Marvel th movies, what I like most about the Marvel movies is they have a good mix of action and comedy. Like, they don't have to take themselves too seriously most of the time. So I felt like Wonder Woman took itself very, very seriously, which was, it was okay, and that's fine. But if they ever do a sequel, I don't know that I would really be down with, like, that same tone being carried forward. I feel like you can only do that once. And she just used it up. So if she ever comes back for a sequel, I would be a little bit wanting something else. But, you know, um, I don't know about you, but when I was seeing Wonder Woman, one of the trailers uh, before the movie started was for, what is it, Justice League? Is that what it's called? Do you know? Yeah, Justice League. Oh, my God. That looked so fucking Snyder. Like, it looked so dark. <laughs> like, every frame was black. Everything was just so serious. And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys, like, lighten up a little bit. So I don't know if she's going to get a sequel. Maybe just do the Justice League thing. I don't know. Who knows? Are you interested in other DC heroes? Are you interested in Justice League at all? How's your, what's your stance on that? Um, I, I'm not super interested in Justice League, but I know I'll probably see it because I've seen... I feel like I've seen all the DC movies so far because I saw Man of Steel. I bought it on Blu-ray for like 5 or $10. Like... Uh, like a while ago, because I went and saw Batman versus Superman in the theaters, and I wanted to see Man of Steel first because it seemed appropriate. So I watched that last year on Blu-ray right before I saw uh, Batman versus Superman. And I mean, I've never been into Superman, so Man of Steel was just kind of like okay for me. And Batman versus Superman, I thought was all right. Like I know it was like the fun thing to do for everybody to like shit all over that movie as soon as it came out. And I'm not saying it's like a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought it was like, all right. I thought it was worth watching. Um, I saw Suicide Squad. I also thought Suicide Squad was okay. Like not great, not terrible. Um, I thought it was all right. Um, and I mean, Wonder Woman, I thought was uh, fantastic. So, um, but I will probably see Justice League because I feel like at this point I'm kind of like strapped in. So, you know, I might as well see it and I'll probably see Justice League just for, wonder woman if nothing else because i mean she was the highlight of batman versus superman she has the best dc movie in this like you know contemporary dc universe so far so i'll pretty much just pay to see her more of her at this point yeah i feel you there i feel you i did not see batman versus superman i'm not the biggest batman fan i'm also not a very big superman fan <laughs> uh, but I, everybody said wonder woman was the best and so i i, I kind of thought about just like renting it and then just skipping ahead to the wonder woman part because uh, not really a lot of interest in watching something so glum and mopey all the way through. Um, but we'll see. And, uh, I don't know. I'm not real down with Justice League. I mean, maybe. Uh, depends. We'll see. Anyway, good film. Wonder Woman, by far the best DC film. I thought it was very good. I would recommend it to anybody, DC fan or not. I thought it was, it was good stuff. We had a good time. Um, another movie I just saw that I want to talk about real briefly was called Kong Skull Island. Have you seen this one? I haven't. I know what it is, and whenever I saw a trailer for it, I saw a trailer for it a while ago um, in a movie theater, and whenever I saw the trailer for it, I could not help but think, like, God, this movie looks so stupid. Like, it looks like it can't decide if it wants to be an action movie, if it wants to be a comedy, if it wants to be a drama, and it looked really, really dumb to me, but then it came out and got, like, really great reviews on, on like, their Rotten Tomato score on it is really high, and... I still have no interest in seeing it because I still think it looks really dumb, but uh, which makes me want to know what you're going to say about it. <laughs> okay, so just to set this up, um, I love 
big robots, big monsters. I love robots and monsters fighting. I love monsters and monsters fighting, robots, whatever. Like, any combination of those things, I love all those things. I love, like, the ones from the 70s. I love the cheesy ones from the 80s. So this is, like, this is that. This is, like, a big, giant monster movie where the whole point of it is to see the monster run around and wreck shop. So that's the point. <laughs> if you're not down with that, then do not bother. And if you're coming to this because you want to learn about human relationships or about love, like, fuck off. This is not, this is not the <laughs> film for that. This is the film. It's like, it's like the same thing with, um, did you see Pacific Rim by any chance? No, I need to, and I have not seen it, and I feel so bad for having never watched it, but oh my one God. day I, I will, I oh swear. I love Pacific Rim so much. Now, that is, that is a big robot movie. And I know that people like kind of like uh, with Batman vs Superman, except for I think Pacific Rim is a better movie. Probably, uh, people like like in my circles anyway really got off on shitting on Pacific Rim. And anybody who shits on that movie is an asshole because Pacific Rim <laughs> is fucking awesome. Like all these people came to it because it was directed by I want to say Guillermo del Toro. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's an amazing director. I love his movies. He is the best. But he like me, is a fan of that 70s, 80s schlocky stuff. He loves that stuff. I love it, too. This was his love letter to that stuff. I mean, every fucking trailer was like, hey, check out these giant robots wrecking shit. Like, that, <laughs> no secret. He did not keep that a secret, right? So people who went to go see Pacific Rim, and they're like, oh, I expected more relationships. Or, oh, there was no twist. Or, like, it was big robots, motherfucker. What do you think you were going to see? Like, that's what it was about. Pacific Rim is fucking dope. We watch that <laughs> at least once a month in their house. We just love it so much. It is so good. I have all the action. Like, literally every single action figure. I've got them all. I love that movie. Anyway, I say that because that is the kind of guy I am. I like those kind of movies, and I'm not shy about it. So Kong Skull Island is totally one of those movies. Um, I'm not the biggest King Kong fan, to be honest with you, but like, I gotta say some of his recent incarnations are pretty good. He's awesome in this movie. Like he shows up, he looks fucking badass. Like the computer graphics are awesome for him. He looks really good. Like the, the, the skin textures and the facial expressions and the weight and the animation, like it looks really, really good. And this movie is fucking just wall to wall action. Like they don't mess around there's like maybe like 10 minutes of setup in the beginning of the movie. And the rest of it is just like, hey, we're on Skull Island. Holy shit. There's King Kong. He's wrecking shit. Hey, there's this giant lizard over here. Oh, my God. He's fighting him. There's giant bugs. Oh, my God. Like, it's just tons of stuff going on. And it all looks amazing. And in the beginning part where these, uh, uh, not really spoiler, but like these, these army guys show up to the island in a bunch of helicopters. And King Kong just shows up and he's like, you guys are not fucking bringing these choppers in here. And he just like starts just like tearing them up. He's like punching them and throwing them and biting them and shit. I'm like, oh my God, it's like amazing. Like it looks so good. Uh, really good film. I mean, if you want a good popcorn movie where it's just like a giant ape just being a giant ape and people being okay with that, this is a fucking good movie. I, I had a blast watching it. I thought it was really good. I'm definitely going to watch it again. Um, so if you want that, this is your film. If you want this because you want to, like, explore the relationship between man and animal or about man and nature, like, no, don't don't even start. So anyway, I thought it was great. Love this movie. Also love Pacific Rim. And you, sir, are on the hook now to watch both of these. Uh, I Someday I will watch Pacific Rim for sure. I will never watch Kong Skull Island. I'm sorry to tell you that. Oh, God. <laughs> all right, all right, fine. I'll let you off the hook for that one. But Pacific Rim for sure. you got to see Pacific Rim at least. You're going to hate it probably, which will, which will be fine. We'll talk about it at some point, but I love that movie so much. Uh, one last thing <laughs> to talk about. 
this was a really good weekend for me personally because it was one of those rare like unicorn days when like everything kind of comes together and it just like all works out like your way like that never happens that never happens especially being a grown-up so um it's kind of a two-part thing part one was uh i had to go to work the entire weekend but it was it's such a time where i had a lot of time at home get up in the morning go to work come back have most of the day at home have to go back to work at night but i had a big chunk at home so I came back, and my son was in the mood to play Minecraft, and so I'm like, all right, you go play Minecraft, and I'm going to play um, some Neo over here. And he was totally content doing his thing. I was content doing my thing. We're in the same room, so we're kind of talking to each other, and we're just, you know, we're having our game time and just chit-chatting, and, uh, you know, that's one of the things we do here. But this was one of the rare occasions when I got to sit down with my game, and I got to play until I was done playing. Now, that may sound weird to you. That may sound weird to a lot of other people. But let me tell you, when you have kids or when you have, you know, other stuff going on in your life, when you've got like real life responsibilities, as, but especially kids, I think it's mostly kids, uh, stuff comes up to where you start a game and then you just, you got to stop. You're not done. You didn't get your, your goals met. You didn't get to the next level or whatever, but it's like, oh, I got to take care of a mess or, oh, I got to make some food or, oh, I got to make this call or, oh, I got to do this thing. I cannot remember the last time that I got to sit down and play games until I felt like I had played enough. They, I mean, like, so long, dude, so long. Lost to the mist of time. It was, like, fucking amazing. I was sitting there, and I kept waiting for something to happen. I kept waiting for somebody to say, Dad, we need you, or, Honey, go do this thing, or, you know, something, or a phone call to come in. Work, we need you. And, like, nothing happened, and I sat there, and I'm like, Man, I'm just playing a game, and I'm just playing a game, and I can keep playing. And at one point, I'm like, you know... I feel good. I feel like I've played enough game and I didn't get interrupted and it was fucking magical. <laughs> it was magical, Corey. <laughs> so magical. I mean, maybe maybe that's not a big deal to you, but I'm sure that there are parents out there who are feeling me so hard right now because they're like, yes, that is... We don't even know what that feels like anymore. That was amazing. So I want to say that was amazing. The other part... See, this was like this is why it was like one of the best days ever. Uh, I'm going to just derail for a second here. Corey... Um, if you were to have sex with your partner, at what time of the day would you like to have sex with him? Oh, jeez. Uh... Not like a specific time, like, but like, you know, morning, afternoon, evening, late night, like wee hours in the morning. Like, what, what's, your, what's your preference? I mean, probably like late night before bed. Okay, so you're a nighttime guy. I guess, yeah. I'm not really like <laughs> that into sex, though. So that, but that's like a different discussion topic. But <laughs> oh Jesus! I mean, <laughs> all right, wait. I, I gotta make a note. I'm making a note. <laughs> We're gonna talk about this later. Okay. <laughs> all right. So I am a noontime guy. Uh, I have always been a noontime guy. I probably will always be a noontime guy. Uh, that's fine for me, and in general, it's been fine um, for my wife. But as you may guess, um, going along with the kids and the responsibilities and the work. That does not work out too well. Uh, very, very few times when I am at home at noon or around, the wife is home and the child is, you know, occupied or doing something. Almost never works out. Almost never works out. And it's so frustrating sometimes because, uh, you know, like you want to get your groove on sometimes and you're in the mood. Maybe your lady's in the mood, your guy's in the mood, whatever. And it just, you you know, you can't. Like for me, it's always like, you know, 1130, 1145 get the itch, look at the wife, she's raising her eyebrow, and then, you know. Oh, my God. It's just, the kid, you know, my son's like, hey, let's go play at the park. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. We just, just, you can't. You can't, man. Because, you know, if you try to, like, get a quickie on or something, you know, what inevitably happens is, what are you guys doing in there? What are you guys doing? 
I'm lonely. I need a sandwich. Can you come change channel for me? Like, you know, impossible. Impossible. Doesn't happen. But on this day, on the same day that I got to play Neo for as long as I wanted to, my son was still playing Minecraft. And I'm like, damn, he's really got this world going. Pretty good world. He looks like he's really into this. And I'm like, I look over at the wife. She looks over at me and I'm like, what do you think? And she's like, nah. I'm like, no, no, no. We got to. We got to try. We got to try. She's like, eh, okay. So like we went back room, closed the door. You know, he was perfectly fine. He was in a safe space. You know, he was playing Minecraft. So my child was not in any danger whatsoever. He was totally fine. And, you know, magic happened. Magic happened. Nobody knocked on the door. No phone rang. Nothing Nothing interrupted the flow. I mean, you know, it wasn't like, you know, didn't have time to get out costumes or toys or oh hats God. or anything. Nothing crazy. Nothing fancy. But uh, it happened, and it was like, it was so amazing. I got to play game, and I got my Nooner all in the same day. Best fucking day ever, dude. Best day ever. <laughs> so, okay, so, like, is this, like, a pre-lunch sex or is it like post-lunch like which how do you like position that around eating because that's i of course because i'm a fat fuck that's like the first thing that comes to mind is like well how do you position <laughs> eating around sex like that so how, how do you like to do that there's only one one correct answer for this so i am a big fan of dan savage and the savage love podcast do you listen to mr savage ever no you know who he is though right no what? You've never heard of Dan Savage? No. Is he like one of the dudes that used to be on MTV's The Love Line or something? No, that was... Uh, no, I know who you're talking about. I No, not those guys. No! Oh my god, I can't believe you don't know. Dan Savage, is, well, he's from Seattle, and he is an out-and-proud gay man, and he is probably, I think, the nation's leading uh, relationship columnist. He does a sex advice column called Savage Love, where he takes uh, questions... And he does a podcast, too. He takes everybody's sex question. Like, you can ask any question at all, and he will, like, answer it and give you advice. And he's been doing it for, like, fuck, 25 years or something like that. Super famous. He's really super uh, political, too. And so he goes around, um, you know, very liberal, of course, as you might imagine. And uh, he's a great crusader for uh, LGBTQ rights and stuff like that. Oh, I can't. I'm, I'm so shocked. I didn't know you. I thought everybody knew about Dan Savage. That shows you how, like, interested in the topic of sex I am that I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I listen to Dan Savage's podcast all the time. Very, very educational. I strongly recommend it to anybody who is curious about sex or wants to know about sex or just wants to, you know, just hear about it or anything like that. Great show. I love his podcast. I love his column. Anyway, uh, my advice when it comes to lunch and sex is the exact same as what Dan Savage gives, where it is like you have sex first and then you eat afterwards. In fact, I think Dan says fuck first, eat later. This is catchphrase or whatever. Totally true. You got to get it on first and then you eat afterwards because if you eat first, you're too full. You know, you're too full. You got garlic breath or whatever. You got stuff in your teeth. You're just, you know, you're like, oh, God, I shouldn't have had that second whatever. You got to You have the sex out of the way first. Is that is that how you do it? Uh, I, I mean, I don't do like nooners, so that's not really a factor in my life, I guess. Well, take it from me. This applies to dinner. It applies to breakfast. It applies to fourth meal if you're a Taco Bell person. Uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta have the sex first and then you do the, no, no, wait, yes, no, yes, sir. sex first, tacos after. That's how that works. Take it from me. That is the way to go. It's the only answer. The only correct answer. Okay. I, I expect uh, a full report. Oh, God, no. Do it both ways. It? Do it both ways. Have sex first and then eat. And then the next day eat first and then have sex. And then you tell me which one's better. 
Can we talk about anything else, please? <laughs> this might be a great time to be done with banter and transfer into... Is this, a, is this actually a video games podcast? Someone told me that one time. Uh, God, I hope so, because this is sure as shit not a sex podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to games. Let's move on to games. Um, we've got a number of things on deck. Uh, now, originally, I had slotted you as the second slot, but I just talked for like a million years. Do you want to jump ahead and go first, Corey? Um, I don't know. I mean, you have more to talk about than I do. So maybe you should go first. Cause if I go first, I'm going to go and then you're going to talk for another 5,000 years and then I'm going to go again. And then you're going to talk for another 5,000 years. So oh, God, we can't have that. Okay. 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 That's fine. We'll stick to the script. All right. <laughs> Moving on to games, and uh, apologies to everybody who sat through that. Sorry if that was torturous, although hopefully you got a couple laughs out of it. Um, but we are now <laughs> firmly on the topic of video games. Um, first up this week, I tried the Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite demo. Um, somebody, I forget who it was, and I apologize. I meant to give credit to this person, but somebody had told me that it was available to download after they made the announcement at E3. I didn't actually watch that show in real time. I watched it afterwards. So I didn't know that it was um, available until later. Uh, and I'm sorry for whoever told me, and I, I wish I could give you credit. I apologize. Uh, but someone told me that the demo was up. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll check it out. Downloaded the demo. Uh, you know, this is, I don't know what entry it is. Probably the fourth or fifth game in the Marvel vs. Capcom series of fighting games from Capcom. 2D, really fast, team-based fighter. Have you ever played a Marvel vs. Capcom? Are you, you don't play a lot of fighting games, do you? Uh, oh god, I was actually just trying to think about the last fighting game I played. Oh boy. Um, uh, I really, this is gonna date my ass so hard, but I really want to say it was like Power Stone on the Dreamcast. Wow, that's going back a ways. Yeah, that's going back quite a ways. I mean, okay, so clearly a, a little bit of Smash Bros here and there, you know, but I'm not even that super into Smash Bros. But, uh, yeah, I'm not... I am the last person ever that you want to talk to fighting games to because I never, ever play them. It's like fighting games and, like, sports games. I I am not at the table for those. Okay, no worries, no worries. Right on. Um, I used to be really a big fan of fighting games, but as time has gone on, I have kind of fallen away from the genre more and more. Uh, I think part of it is that arcades are not a thing anymore. So, like, when I was really into fighting games uh, a million and billion years ago, uh, there actually were still arcades around. So I could go to an arcade and I could, you know, play with real people in an arcade. Like, you put your quarter up on the machine, get in line, you know, uh, loser pays, winner stays, that whole thing. I mean, that was fun <laughs> for a while when I was younger. So that was good times. Um, I don't like to play online for various reasons, just because you don't see the person, you don't know the person, and usually the people who play online just have, like, no life, and so they're, like, way, way better than uh, than I am, so it's not really fun to get stomped just, you know, whenever I'm playing a game. But I still dip in once in a while, and I wanted to check out this demo. I have to say it left me pretty cold, though. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Marvel vs. Capcom series to begin with, uh, so as one might ex expect... A uh, bunch of Marvel characters, bunch of Capcom characters. You mash them up together. You usually pick, you know, between two or three people for your team, and you can switch between them as you want to. And then um, it's just it's very fast. It's one of the fastest, flashiest fighting games that uh, Capcom has put out. I'm I'm sure that there's something faster and flashier, uh, but it's already too fast for me. Like I like fighting games where they're a little bit slower, 
a little bit more strategic. Um, you don't maybe need the lightning reflexes so much if you have a good strategy or if you can play good head games with your opponent. Um, I've never been a great fighting game fan, but I was able to hold my own for a while. Um, but never in the Marvel vs. Capcom. I just didn't have the reflexes for it. It just was like a lot of like strobe lights going off and buttons being mashed, but I wasn't really getting a lot out of it. So I thought that maybe this would be a good time to just see what's up with the series. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems slower than the previous one, which is a, a good thing for me, I mean, especially because, you know, I'm just not that deep into it. But I don't know. It just seemed kind of like off. Um, I'm not sure how the community is responding to this, the fighting games community. I think the response to the demo was not too great. I think a large part of it is that the art style feels really off. It feels... I don't know how to say this exactly, but it feels like really like not cool in a very like white American way. Um, Cause like, <laughs> you know, a lot of fighting games are Japanese are very Japanese. And so like they have a very distinct art style. Like usually the characters looking cool is a big part of it. And something about the way that these characters are drawn, it just, they just don't look that cool. Their faces look kind of doughy. Their bodies <laughs> look really too big. Like Captain America is one of the characters in the demo and he just looks like a giant, like, meaty buffoon like he doesn't look cool or strong or you know he's his chest is like eight feet wide and he looks like he weighs about 400 pounds of solid muscle and that might sound good like me talking about it but like looking at it he just looked kind of doofy like he didn't look very good um chun lee's face looks really super messed up in the in the demo it looked just not like her at all um it just looked really bland and really kind of not very stylish and it, it wasn't getting me pumped seeing these characters uh, playing the demo. I mean, it seemed, I mean, I'm not knowledgeable enough to really talk about it in depth, but you know, I, I was playing around with it. I'm like, okay, this seems like vaguely similar to what I remember Marvel versus Capcom being. And you know, if that holds true, I'm probably not going to play it again, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, it didn't get me to want to check out more. I thought visually it looked really ugh, not good. And I think I'm probably going to give this one a pass. I'm assuming you're going to give this one a pass as well. Yeah, I mean, I would never uh, consider playing this, like, basically ever in the first place. But I had read on Twitter the other day, somebody was tweeting about this, and I haven't really seen a whole lot about Marvel, the new Marvel versus Capcom, so I'm not really sure, like, you know, like, when you're talking about the character models and stuff, I haven't really seen them, so I don't know what it, what it looks like for sure. But um, somebody the other day, I saw somebody tweeting about how, um, like, they, they think the decision of Marvel and Capcom making the characters look like this is that um to my knowledge of what they were saying it looks more kind of like mortal Kombat or like like injustice style characters and i guess that because mortal Kombat x or mortal Kombat 10 or i don't know which one it's supposed to be pronounced like um, i guess because it sold really well and because the injustice series is going really well that it was sort of like a no-brainer like oh well let's try to make this game look like those but still have like the marvel and capcom characters and so that way we can like still call it that game but obviously because you know this is like triple a game development like oh obviously the games that look like this are selling well so we have to make our game look exactly like these other games that are selling really well um if me saying that did the character models look in a similar way like mortal Kombat, or was that person did they not know what they're talking about I mean, maybe that's true. I mean, it would kind of make sense as to why they look like that. Because in general, I think Capcom has, like, really strong art. Like, I, I mean, I've bought art books of Capcom art because I really like their their style. They employ a number of super talented artists. And so to see something that looks so pasty, I was like, what the what the hell is this? This doesn't look like a Capcom game at all to me. I mean, that, that may be true. I don't know if that is true. But something about it is off. Like, it just doesn't have that same 
Capcom feel. I mean, maybe they're trying to, to switch it up. I mean, I don't know how well Mortal Kombat has been doing. I really liked uh, Mortal Kombat 9. I think it was 9. That was, was that the one that had the first, like, big expanded story mode, do you remember? Oh, dear. Again, I am not the right person to ask this question to. Not, not a big deal. Not, I think it was 9 <laughs> where they had, like, uh, the, this, the cool story mode that everybody really liked. I thought that was a great game. But I don't want every game to look like Mortal Kombat. And no disrespect to the, the Mortal Kombat folks, but I don't like the way Mortal Kombat really looks. Some of the characters look cool, and some of them look like fucking hot garbage. Like, I just don't <laughs> understand. Half the cast is usually just really just dog-ass ugly. Um, so I wouldn't want to emulate that art style at all. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the art was really putting me off. Um, I've heard from some people. I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard from some people that most of the X-Men characters are not going to be in Marvel vs. Capcom. And X-Men have always been a pretty big part of that series. I mean, I really like Cyclops a lot. And Wolverine was, of course, one of the most famous characters. Um, I didn't see them in the demo. That doesn't mean that they're not there. But I've heard that they're not going to be in there because now, you know, because of all the Marvel licensing stuff where the X-Men are owned by a different company and the X-Men are not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Therefore, Marvel is not giving any attention to the X-Men because it's not where their profit is right now. Blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think a lot of fans are kind of miffed that uh, some of their old favorites are not going to be making it to this iteration. So that's another reason people are maybe not too happy with it. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of my, my brief take. Um, I'm glad that the demo was up there and it was free and I would recommend people download that, check it out for yourself. Uh, it doesn't cost you a cent and it doesn't take too long to download. So see what you think for yourself. I think I probably will give this one a pass unless I see it really, really cheap on sale next year or something like that. But I am not going to be here for this one on release day. Um, so that's Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. Corey, um, we talked a little bit last week about Perception, which is the horror slash walking simulator where you play a blind person who kind of senses sound waves or something like that, correct? That is correct. And I have a feeling you are about to update us on your progress, correct? That is also correct. All right, sir. I'm very curious to hear about this. Did you, A, did you finish it, and B, did you like it, and C... Whatever you want to tell us, tell us about it right now. What's going on? <laughs> okay, I haven't finished it yet. I'm about three or so hours in. Um, the weird thing about starting this game is that I wasn't really sure, like, pacing-wise, how long it was going to be. Because some games, you know, they give you a really good sense of pacing within the first, like, hour or maybe two hours. And whenever it comes to these, like, first-person horror games, I mean, most of them are pretty short, like, you know five to ten hours uh, you know and ten hours is like pushing it for this kind of game um but uh so i you know sometimes you can just sit down and play them in one sitting like uh i mean like a lot of you know walking simulators or narrative adventure games are about you know two hours long maybe three hours you could just sit down with them so i i finally got to a point it took me about an hour maybe two hours or so before i kind of got a good sense of pacing and perception which i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing because i mean like uh, like I explained before, but I'll go back over the story real quick. It's, it stars a young woman named Cassie who's blind, and she uses she has her walking cane, and she hits her cane, and it like makes sound waves uh, disperse throughout her area that temporarily light up environmental stuff, so she can walk around. And her footsteps also cause um, smaller sound waves to to bounce off things, so it's kind of like an echolocation thing. Um, she is investigating this house that she's been having like visions and nightmares of. 
And uh, I mean, the game kind of says like, okay, well, here's some things that are in her nightmares that she needs to find, but you're not really clear. And I'm still not even really clear at this point about like what the actual like end game goal is, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing either, because sometimes, you know, that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing, but I feel like in this game, it's kind of leaning bad. Um, but, uh, this is one of those games where, and Brad, I think you're going to know what I mean whenever I say this, like, you know, this game is not bad. Like, I don't want to, like, make what I'm about to say make this game sound like shit or anything because it's very interesting. It's pretty good. There's been some interesting, like, environmental design and stuff. And, of course, I'm going to keep playing it. Um, I am reviewing this game, so this is something that, you know, I'm going to finish. I don't see why there's any reason why I shouldn't finish it. But, you know, whenever I sit down at night and I want to play video games, you know, it's like my time of the night, Patrick's asleep, I can play video games, I can do whatever. This is just one of those games that I don't reach for to play. Like, do you know what I mean, Brad? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I'll play a game where I think there's nothing really wrong with it, but I'm not really drawn to come back to it. Like, is that kind of what you mean? Like, you're not you're just not in the mood to play it even though there's not really anything like bad about it you just want to play something different is that is that what you mean yeah like i mean and i've had this phenomenon with like several games and sometimes it happens with horror games because like i am just kind of too like nervous or too you know because i mean you have to be in a certain mood to want to be scared you know it's like it's kind of like whenever you queue up netflix and you like have to be in a certain mood to want to watch that really like sad drama that's always in the back of your head um because usually you want to watch something that's like a little bit easier or a little bit like funny or you know something that's a little more lighthearted. i mean sometimes it's like that but i i'm finding that this game is not particularly scary which um you know last time i had talked about how i got to a point where the game had set this sort of like precedent to where there's like something in the house that, uh, that might be following you slash Cassie around. And yeah, yeah. That was what sounded really interesting to me. That's kind of where I perked up. How did that pan out? Well, I mean, the, the thing is still there, but I think the problem, I don't know if this is a, really a problem per se, but so basically what's happening is, um, you know, if you, if you tap your cane a lot, the game is quick to be like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do this because the thing that's in the house might hear you and it'll come after you. So of course that triggers an automatic defense and my gameplay style where I'm like, okay, well, I'm just not going to tap the cane at all. Like how about that video game? And, um, <laughs> and so, cause when she walks, her footsteps give small echolocation. It's like not enough to see a whole room or anything. Cause usually if you tap the cane, just about the entire room you're in lights up and it stays lit up for about five seconds or so. So it's enough to like get your bearings enough to see a door, um, you know, to know where to go. And there are some landmarks in the house or in the environment she's in that will stay lit up no matter what. Like there's like a, like a fireplace and she'll like, if you use your echolocation right in front of it, she'll like make a mental note that it's there. Um, so if you're looking out into the darkness and to the void of, you know, the house when you're blind, she has like, that'll still be lit up a little bit. So you can kind of know where it is um, to give yourself like a, a point of reference in the house or like a staircase or something like that. Um, but, uh, so I'm just like, okay, well, I'm not going to tap the cane at all. Like that, like I don't have to tap the cane to get around. Like the footsteps are enough for me to get around, even though it is a little bit harder. And I mean, I still use the cane every once in a while. It's not like I've sworn it off for the game, but, um, I'm trying to stay as safe as possible here. Obviously I don't want to get like, uh, like I haven't really 
physically encountered the the thing yet. It's definitely been around and I've had to hide a couple times. There's like a hiding mechanic in the game, but um I haven't been like attacked by it. So I don't I don't even know if this game is like if it's like a one-hit kill or if it's like the thing like, you know, just damages you and then runs away. I don't even know how it works. I should probably test that out actually um the next time I play it, which actually might stress me out a little bit more than maybe than I would like the game too, but um but uh, but I feel like it's almost like too easy if you're not tapping the cane very much because there are a few cued segments where like there's this really really brilliant room um late in the house segment where you walk into a room that's like it's sort of still like packed like the, it looks like because it kind of looks like the house is being packed up or maybe somebody just moved there because there's like cloth on some of the furniture and stuff like that and you walk in this room. And there's like bubble wrap everywhere and it's so cool because every time you you take a step it pops really loudly and the whole room lights up and so of course like it kind of gives you the sense that like well shit i want to be quiet but i can't be quiet in this room and you can like see the bubble room or the bubble wrap texture on everything in the room whenever you take steps and it sets up a really great uh, like segment of the game um but uh i i don't uh i don't think that it's that challenging because like you can just not use your cane a whole lot and then the little figure thing whatever it is the the identity or i can't remember what the game calls it um well will not show up all the time unless you're tapping your cane a lot and i've never been able to like summon it by tapping my cane because i don't use my cane a whole lot um so it's kind of setting up like a situation where like it's kind of like too easy if you're not using your cane, but maybe it's too hard if you use your cane a lot. And I'm not really well, sure. Like, well, hang on a second. What do you mean by too easy, though? Because from what you've described so far, it sounds like you're walking around this house. I mean, I guess what you're listening to audio files or picking up. I mean, like, what are you doing in the house that like how is challenge a part of this? Because I, I don't really know what you're doing other than exploring rooms. Like, what, how is it too easy? Well, I mean, it's too easy because there's no sense of like there's no big sense of danger. Like if you're not tapping your cane all the time to look around, I mean, it's not like the figure is stalking the house and following you no matter what you're doing. It only shows up on very specific segments or if you tap your cane too much. So it's like, it, it's, it's like leaning like walking simulator in that regard, because there's no like real sense of danger or sense of like, like, Oh, you need to like hurry up and figure this stuff out or like sense of like heightened pacing or anything like that. Which is a little bit boring, I have to be honest. Like, the story so far is not interesting enough for me to be, like, super-duper into it. I mean, it's, like, okay. And so I feel like the whole, like, blind sound wave mechanic is kind of, like, a pretty big, um, you know, like, crutch what or what have you to make the game more interesting. But I almost... This is going to be... It's a, probably a terrible thing to say, but I almost wish the game didn't have that at all because I think if she could see and the environments were designed well enough to be interesting and even if the figure that were following her were like a ghost and it were invisible or something like that, I feel like I would prefer that over the tap your cane for echolocation thing because I feel like the game is not using that enough. Like the, the bubble room rap was like super fascinating and like it kind of brought a sense of danger and like an element of surprise and an element of wonder. And, um, 
But I mean, the rest of the game, you're just kind of like walking around in the dark, which is about as much fun as it sounds. And uh, and like the story is not strong enough for me to like really want to play it. So it's, I mean, like I said, it's just one of those games where like I sit down and I'm like, man, I know I really need to play this game for review and just get it over with. But I don't really like want to play it, which sounds so bad because it's not like a bad game. I'm making it sound so terrible, but it's it's just like never the game. And lately, I'll talk about the other game I've been playing lately, which, I mean, people are going to be like, what, whenever they hear what I've been playing instead of Perception. But uh, it's just, like, not the game I reach for nightly. And I, I that's just, like, a fascination all on its own of, like, having a game, like, a developer making a game that is not bad, but it's just, like, not one that you want to reach for regularly to play. Because if they're not doing a good enough job of dangling the carrot in front of you to keep you wanting to come back and keep you engaged, then, like they're kind of not doing that well at making the game, in my opinion. See, I'm glad you said that, because that's exactly what I was going to bring up. I mean, I've been editor at Game Critics for, like, 17 years now, and I've talked to a lot of writers. You know, we have a lot of uh, longtime writers. We have a lot of newcomers. And whenever I have a newcomer come in, this is, like, one of the things that I talk to them about. Like, this comes up a lot. Um, and, you know, it's exactly kind of like what you said, where if you're playing a game... And there's nothing wrong with it. Like, it functions. It's not buggy. If the graphics are, you know, they're fine. Music's fine. Whatever. Like, but you just don't want to play it. Like, that sensation, that feeling of not wanting to play it is something that is up for critique. A lot of people, and I'm not saying this about you, but I'm saying a lot of people in general, um, they tend to totally dismiss that. They just usually say, oh, maybe it's not my thing. Or maybe, um, you know, I just wasn't in the mood for it or whatever. I find a lot of writers are very hesitant to, like take a developer to task for not making a game interesting enough to bring them coming back. Um, now, if you're totally against a genre, like, you know, I'm not expecting uh, them to, to be drawn to it because it's something that they may not like. But I think if if you're open to a genre or if it's a genre that you play or, you know, you're interested in it, if that game is just fine, like it functions, it has a story, it has a character, it has things to do, but you just like you never want to come back to it like that in itself is something that is definitely worthy of critique, which kind of sounds like what's going on here. Like it sounds like they have a pretty good premise. Maybe they did not think about how that was going to play out. Maybe they had, you know, the idea of, oh, let's tap a cane and do this thing. But, you know, to be honest, um, as I'm listening to you talk about it, I'm losing interest as it goes on and on, because <laughs> I've, I've seen a couple games try to simulate blindness and usually what happens is they usually fall back on the visual, which sounds exactly like what you're describing. You cannot see, so you tap your cane, and then it lights up, or like you see outlines, or whatever it is in the room, you're kind of like echolocating to find out where this is going. Um, but, you know, newsflash, I know a lot of blind people. I've met many blind people in my life. I work with blind people, and I'll tell you, they don't fucking echolocate. That is not a thing <laughs> blind people do. I can say for fucking fact, that does not happen. No one is a dolphin in pants when they are a blind person. So, you know, I think that developers want to use that blindness for a sense of suspense or to make the player feel like they are um, at a disadvantage or scared or power powerless. But I, I don't think I've found a game yet that really kind of tackles that in a very good way. Like, I mean, maybe there could be a game that had no graphics whatsoever. I know that there are some on mobile. Um, I think there are some on PC. I haven't played any, but I've heard of a few. Where there's no graphics whatsoever, like that, I think is a more accurate simulation of what it might be to be a blind person. So, kind of what you're describing of like, hey, you're blind, but not really, because if you tap this thing, you can see like Daredevil. Um, that's not really 
to me, like disempowering the player correctly. And it sounds like it's not setting up anything interesting for you to do. Like you're just basically, like you said, exploring the house and maybe once in a while you get a little bit of a scare, but not really. Uh, you know, and, and the fact that you're not wanting to come back to this, that in itself, like what you're describing all together, like in my editor's brain, I'm like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. I see the problems <laughs> with this. And then I'm just, I'm figuring it out. So now I'm like, I'm crossing it off of my two playlist. It sounded interesting last time, does not sound interesting this time. And I don't blame you at all for not wanting to get back to it. I've, I've had that feeling myself many times. So I know what you're talking about. Um, I'm hoping it's not too long though. Do you feel like you're kind of coming in on the home stretch or, or what do you think? Um, I hope so. Like I, the last time I sat down with it, I was really hoping that I would just kind of be able to finish it and get it over with. But it's one of those games where I don't want to sit down for a really long time and play it. Like I kind of like it in short bursts because it's kind of exhausting to play a game where you can't see anything for like long periods of time because it, it takes like, you know, a certain amount of patience and a certain amount of like exploration and a certain amount of you know, getting lost in the house, which I mean is, you know, kind of, I, I guess a little bit the point of the game, like having a hard time figuring out where to go, especially if you're not using your cane very much. Um, but I, I'm like, I still, like I said earlier, I'm still not entirely sure what this game's sense of pacing is. Like, I'm not sure. I can see how the game is layering its like story elements, but I don't know like how many it's going to layer before it kind of ties itself back up. So, I'm pretty well in the thick of it right now, and I'm just not exactly sure um, really like how much more it's going to bring to story layers before it kind of connects back to the stuff that happens at the beginning, so I, I'm not really sure. All right, well, um, let's... I don't know if we're going to do another update. Maybe you'll just go straight to review <laughs> after this. We'll see. Um, it sounds to me like one of those classic games where they had a great idea but just didn't have enough to go along with that idea. Making games is hard. You know, I'm not a developer. I don't I don't uh, purport to think that I could do it better than anybody else. Although maybe I could. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, that's right. I fucking went there. That's right. <laughs> We're going to get hate mail for that. Um, but yeah, sometimes I just play a game and just, you know, from my editorial perspective, whereas the perspective of someone who's been playing games for so long, you just really quickly pick up on things. And I kind of wonder, like, you guys, you guys must have known this wasn't enough, but you put it out anyway. So I kind of have don't have a lot of sympathy for for when that happens. But that's okay. Um, it sounds like there's still a little bit of interest left. Hopefully it'll be really cool at the end, or who knows. Um, but uh, we will touch base on that again at some point in the future, I'm sure. Uh, let me jump to uh, the next thing on the agenda here. I'm not going to talk a lot about this because it's not a brand new game, and I'm not even really playing it that much, but I thought it was worth mentioning that I have been putting some time into Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, which is... I'm playing it on PS4. It's also on Xbox. It's on PC. This one got a lot of press a couple years ago when it came out. It was an indie darling for a while. Uh, in this particular game, you are a tiny little character, and you are inside a ship that is in like the shape of like a circle. And there's all these different like stations within this ship. You're looking at it like a 2D side view. So there's like a couple guns. There's a steering wheel, there's a radar, and when you're this guy inside the ship, you got to run around and man these different stations, but the hook is that you can only man one station at a time, and you need more than one person to fly the ship. So in its original incarnation, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time was a two-player cooperative game where, like, one person would be gunning, and the other person would be driving, or, like, one person would be on the shields, and another person would be on the radar, or whatever, and you'd have to co communicate with your partner and to, to get them to, like, go to where you need them, or they tell you where they need you to go. 
and you're flying in space and things are attacking you and you got to work together and it's real crazy and hectic and uh, I imagine it probably started a lot of fights. I'm not sure that it really brought people together because it seemed like kind of stressful in certain sections. But they have recently... Well, okay, maybe not too recently, sorry. At, at some point in history, they updated it to allow more than two people. So you can have, I think, up to four people playing in the ship at the same time, which I think was a brilliant idea. Um, having four people makes the game a lot easier. So you're very efficiently flying the ship through space, which is fine. But at the same time, I think you're probably with friends. You know, you're probably hanging out with somebody that you like. And just doing something pleasurable like that with someone that you like, I think in itself is a worthwhile pastime. Uh, so, have you have you played Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, Corey? Indeed. I talked about it on the show, like, a month or two or three or a while ago. Um, yeah, really? I, like, yeah, I did. God, I don't remember that. It must, have been a, it must have been longer than that ago. We're up to episode 38, so 38 weeks ago. I mean, I don't know how many weeks ago it was. But I don't remember you talking about it. Did you, did you like it, or what did you say about it? Yeah, I like this game. Uh, Patrick and I played it together. We haven't beat it. I don't think we're anywhere even close to beating it, because we've only sat down maybe like two times, I think two times, to play it together. But um, it's really fun. It's really cute. Um, I like it. I can see how it can be stressful, though. But uh, Patrick and I made a pretty good team on it, because we, we were good at just manning our own stations. Like, he would pilot the ship and I would shoot and do shields and he would like you know jump off the engine and pick up a different gun a different station if he needed to if we were like caught in a crazy situation but um I really like this game but uh you know you can't really sit down and play it alone so I haven't come back to it in a while but I do I do like it yeah you know actually technically for people out there who may be listening you actually can play this alone which is weird uh, because if you do play it by yourself, the the game gives you a pet. You can choose from between like a dog and a cat and a raccoon. <laughs> Pretty sure it's a raccoon. And so you can play it and then you tell that, that animal where to go. So it's totally not that fun, I don't think. I mean, I think really the beauty of this game is in just like the cooperation and being with the person that you want to spend some time playing games with. So that, you know, like we kind of mentioned in the last episode, um, I think that kind of is a genre all by itself, like the the cooperative, this game is only fun if you have a second person kind of genre. Um, so I think it fits really nicely in that. I think it's a great example. Uh, it's me, my wife, and my son. Three of us are playing as a team, which has been pretty good. Um, we haven't spent a lot of time because it's one of those games where I really like it for like 20 minutes, and then I want to like take a break from it because it can get a little bit exhausting playing this. Uh, but I do enjoy it. We haven't finished it yet. And I would, I'm going to definitely try to finish it this time around. We picked it up last year, uh, dropped it, got distracted, whatever. And then I just remembered that I have it again. And so we've been playing it again. I really want to finish it this time. And we have been um, enjoying it quite a bit. So I just wanted to give it a quick shout out. Um, I think probably most people who are listening to this podcast probably have already played this, or at least they know enough about it. I mean, it was really famous for a while. It was very popular for a while. Uh, but just in case... You're looking for a cooperative game, and you haven't heard of this, I would definitely recommend Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time uh, if you're looking for something to you know, play with somebody on the couch next to you. So would you recommend this also as a good co-op game, Corey? Oh, yeah. It is so charming and so cute and very strategic, but not... It is exhausting. I totally agree with you. Like That's probably why Patrick and I haven't played it much, because it's one of those games where you play like one level and then you need to stop. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really great. It's very cute. Yeah, totally. We play about one, maybe two, and then I'm like, okay, I got to take a break because something about it is just very, like, 
you got to be paying attention a lot and like i think just working with the other person something about it just really tires you out after a while so. <laughs> i mean it's stressful it is a very stressful game yeah it is but it is really fucking cute i love the way it looks it's just so adorable so definitely a thumbs up to lovers in a dangerous space time i recommend it and uh, maybe i'll update the podcast about my progress maybe i won't we'll see but <laughs> speaking of updates you told me before the show what you were playing and i just about fell out of my fucking chair <laughs> dude i was like what yeah do you want to hear what i've been playing instead oh, of perception man. yeah I, I oh god i guess we're here you might as well go ahead <sighs> i've been playing the hell out of mass effect andromeda no no <laughs> no why why god why okay so uh, okay so here here's the setup i like about two weeks ago three weeks ago on the show i had given an update on mass effect and said that i had not played it at all since the first time i played it and um which was i can't even remember when it was it was like months ago and I'm renting this game from Gamefly, and it's been sitting on my TV console. The disc, that sad, lonely disc, has just been sitting there looking up at me for the past like couple months, just hoping that I'll play it some more and try to give it the love that nobody else is giving it. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, I have this game from Gamefly. I either need to finish it or, tr or play more of it to decide if I really want to finish it or I need to send it back because it's just taking up a rental space. You know, Gamefly is not expensive. It's like $20 a month or something. But it's like, you know, $10 of that $20 or however much it is, you know, is going to this game that I'm not touching, you know, week in and week out. So I decided, okay, I finally reached a lull where I don't have a whole lot to play. So I'm going to put it back in. And so I have been playing this for like several hours a night, just about. And I, I'm not gonna pretend like this game is perfect because it's not, but it's kind of like, it's kind of giving me the same sensation of playing like Fallout 4 at this point where like, it's not amazing, but it's just good enough for me to keep playing. And it's very easy for me to fall into like a good rhythm with the game at this point and and it's one of those games, unlike Perception, where I'm playing it and it totally does the thing that like Fallout's do to me and like Deus Ex does to me where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do this one more task and then I'll turn it off and I'll, you know, eat and go to bed or something, you know, just, just this one more thing. I just want to finish this mission and then I'll just go back to the ship. And then, and then I, I get back to the ship and then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to make the rounds and talk to my crew and then I'll stop. And then I make the rounds and talk to my crew. And then I'm like, okay, well actually the next mission's on this planet. It's not far away. So I'll just go to that planet and then I'll stop playing. I'll, I'll get the loading screen over with and then I'll save and I'll stop. And then I go to the planet and then I'm like, well, you know, there's some missions here. This one's like really close to the, to the Nomad, which is like the new Mako. And I'm like, okay, I'll just do this mission real quick and then I'll stop playing. And that is like the story of my life with this game because it is it's not great but it's like good enough for me to keep playing like the combat the more i play it the combat is getting more satisfying um and i've made sort of like an an itemized list of like a handful of things i want to talk about some things in the game but before i jump into that list brad do you have anything you want to respond with before i talk more 
I have two things to say. First off, I love your one more quest voice. That is a new voice for the show. <laughs> I'm into that voice, dude. I like that voice. That was funny, and it sounded like not you. So I'm into that. You got to use that one more often. I like the I like the one more quest voice. That is good. Like when you're imagining yourself doing that voice, like what are you, what are you imagining? Like like what is in your head when you're doing that? Uh, I don't know. That was like. I don't even know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to listen to that when I'm editing this show because I'm not really sure how I sound. It's one of those right. phenomenons where you, you don't hear your voice a lot and then you hear it and you're like, oh, okay, so maybe I'll bring it back in the future. That is a fun voice. I'm into that voice. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, and secondly, I'm just like, oh, man, dude. I mean, so uh, so I guess I, I hear what you're saying and I know that feeling of doing the one request and stuff, but it's like, oh, man, is it just... I mean, I don't know. I don't even know. Because, like, what are you getting out of it other than checking stuff off a list? I mean, I, I get you're saying that combat is a more satisfying. But, like, are you connecting with the story at all? Or do you like any of the characters? I mean, is there some hook other than simply checking stuff off a list for you? Or is that just, you know, where you're at right now? Is that all you need? Or, like, I mean, I just don't understand, man. I don't understand. <laughs> well, okay. So the sad thing is that there's really not that much of a hook. Because the story is like not that great i mean the the story of mass effect i should probably sum this up very quickly because we haven't talked about mass effect in a while um the story of mass effect andromeda is totally disconnected from the mass effect trilogy you are a you can choose between a woman or a man a brother or a sister named writer and you become a pathfinder early in the game which means you're on this big uh it's called the andromeda initiative where they're sending they i don't know who they is um races across the galaxy are sending all these ships um like way 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 far across the galaxy to what they um are referring to as the golden planets and they are these planets that have um like these uh what's the word i'm looking for like these temples inside of them and they're supposed to be connected in a way where they're like super inhabitable like they're basically moving you know all these races there because it's a new galaxy it's a good place to settle they want to expand the universe and then they get there and they find out that the golden worlds are basically shit and they're not what they thought they were going to be they're not super inhabitable so part of the game is you exploring these planets and making them inhabitable and setting outposts on them and kind of like cleaning up the mess that wasn't supposed to be there in the first place and then the other part of the game is trying to get to the bottom of the enemy force there's an enemy species called the ket and they are basically fighting you every step of the way and there's an enemy force like a an inorganic uh sort of robotic enemy force called um the remnant and they're sort of doing the same thing like as you're trying to to make these worlds habitable the remnant will show up near um the vaults uh, or the temples and they will kind of fight you and they're in there. And so it kind of gives you a sense that maybe something bigger is going on than anything that you're doing in the current moment. And so, I mean, that's kind of it. Like, honestly, this game is more of like a checkbox thing. I mean, I do find the mechanics are pretty good. The more I play it, the more I'm enjoying the combat. I don't think it's nearly as good as Mass Effect 3. Mass Effect 3 is like the, as tight and as thrilling as the combat has been in that series ever and I love it. And it's not, it's not as good as mass factory. It's not quite as tight, but I, I am enjoying it. Um, but that, that's sort of the story. Um, I, I am just checking things off a box, but I'm getting enough of a sense of satisfaction about it to where I want to keep playing it because sometimes I'm not like 
that's not enough to hold me down. Um, but some of the characters I do find interesting, like Ryder, I'm the female writer. Like 98% of the time I play games, I play as a woman. And I really like her. Like she, she's, she's pretty like funny, I find most of the time. She's pretty, um, I, the, the thing that this game does different than old Mass Effects is in, in old Mass Effects, you have like the, the Paragon and the Renegade feature where basically anytime somebody says something to you, you can either say like, like the bright and lightning paragon, like nice thing, or you could say like the the kind of like to the point, like rude, maybe like even like punching someone, like renegade thing, or you can pick like the middle of the road answer that's kind of like neither here nor there. The thing that I kind of like about the conversation system in this Mass Effect, I mean, it, it's a double-edged sword, but it, it doesn't do that. It basically, in certain situations, it gives you like four to five different things you can say, and they each stand for something, and I can't remember what they are, but one of them's like, like the the professional thing to say, one of them's like sort of like the flirty thing to say, like romantic, and one is like fun, and one is like I don't know. There's like four, and I can't remember what they all are. But um, I find that to be a little bit more compelling than just saying like the nice thing or the rude thing. Um, but it's also kind of lends itself to a situation where like a lot of uh, Mass Effect uh, one through three, the, the dialogue you had to build up a certain amount of points in your Paragon or Renegade before you could make like hard dialogue choices with certain characters and because there's no such thing as paragon or renegade in this game you don't really have that so like any sense of like going up to an enemy or like going to a mission and like being able to talk your way out of it is basically not there because you don't like there's no way of like leveling that situation up to to like get up there which is kind of disappointing but i feel like it's you know it's kind of worth it to have like not like super binary um binary i guess uh like discussions that you can have with people um but i do i have some more stuff to say but brad do you have any responses to those well i'm thinking back to the dialogue i get what you're saying i know a lot of people had a problem with paragon and renegade i mean i thought it worked fine enough for what it was um i definitely think that more natural responses are, are welcome um you know more than just a binary sort of thing but I really bounced hard off of the dialogue in, in that game. I was playing the female writer also. Uh, I didn't like her voice very much, and she just looked weird, and I couldn't, I couldn't connect with her the way that I did with um, my character in the original Mass Effect. So that was kind of a, putting me off at first. And then I just noticed that whenever I get into these conversations, like sometimes it would just be like really weird and inappropriate things to say. Like I just didn't get a good feel. I felt like it was too easy to swing back and forth between being really jokey or being really super serious like often it was like a choice between i am your leader and we must rally because i am inspiring you all and we are going to work together and be a team or it was like oh yeah dude whatever that guy sucks let's party down and i just like the swing in tone was just really hard for me to um buy into and i just didn't like it very much i also i mean like I've said before, I don't always need a good story to keep me into a game, but in a game like Mass Effect, I need a strong story. Like, that's that's why I'm playing that game. I don't play the Mass Effect games for combat or because I like to level up characters. I'm playing that for the story. And in, in Andromeda, I just, I, I found nothing in the story to connect with. Like, it felt like a lot of busy work. I didn't like the main character. I didn't like my supporting characters. Uh, I just, I kind of didn't care about what was going on. And so I just, I really lost steam real fast. I mean, I mean, I hear what you're saying about the dialogue, but like when you talk to your characters and stuff, like, do you care about them? Do you give a shit? Do you like, I mean, does it not matter? Like, how are you finding the story and the characters? 
Um, the characters are super hit and miss. Like, they're not nearly as strong as, like, any characters that have come before in Mass Effect. But, um, I mean, there are a couple that I feel a little bit attached to. Like, there's a... There's a female Turian warrior on your team named uh, Vetra Nyx, which is, like, a super cool name. And I like her because she's very, like... She's just kind of, like, you know, like a badass bitch. Like, she's just, like, to the point. She, like, knows how to get shit done, and she doesn't mess around, and she's, like, really tough. And, you know, those are the things that, you know, kind of like with Wonder Woman, like, that I, like, admire in women. Like, um, and I, I just really like her. And, uh, you know, I try to take her on missions with me as much as possible, but I'm also trying to get to, like, know the rest of the team pretty well. But, I mean, the rest of the team, like, there's, like, an Asari. And I don't, I mean, she's okay, but she's just, like... I don't know, she's kind of childish and kind of silly, and I'm not really that into her. And there's, like, uh, uh, there's like the the British, like, bro dude on your team named Liam. And he's, like, the dude where, like, every time I go into his quarters and talk to him, he always, like, has his shirt off, and he's like, has, like, a six-pack. And, and I accidentally, like, kind of, like, overtly sexually harassed him on the ship the other day because he was, like, in his office with, uh, with another guy. And of course, like they both had their shirts off, but the other guy was an alien, so he didn't look like human or anything. And I and I was like, okay, I'm gonna make the most of this. So I went for like the romantic or like the flirty dialogue choice. And he was like walking toward his desk and she said something like, like, oh, did I tell you you could put your shirt back on? And I mean it was funny, but it was like I was like, wow, I just like really sexually harassed that guy. Like, I'm supposed to be like leading this ship, and that's probably not something I should have said. Not that it makes a difference. Um, I mean, maybe it does, but he didn't seem offended by it. Yeah, they seem really to like push you towards um, the sexual option like really quickly. I mean, I think I mentioned <laughs> this in the show last time, but like, I ended up like accidentally like coming on to people I didn't want to come on to. <laughs> like, I think the first one of the first conversations I had with the doctor in the med bay, I I chose like what I I think what I thought was just like amicable or friendly like i wanted to you know not to be cold and unapproachable but it ended up being where the doctor was like oh my god i'm not going out with you so inappropriate and i'm like whoa like totally not trying to get in your pants like that was like what like it was weird like i just not clicking with it too much um how far are you i when i played i got about 20 odd hours in some of that was like fucking around on the planets and just you know collecting stuff or scanning stuff i think i think i stopped when I was, I met the aliens that look like they have like meat faces or whatever. The weird eye patch, fishy looking meat bag aliens, which don't look cool <laughs> at all. I'm sure you know the ones I'm talking about, right? The ones yeah, that got weird. The, the Angarans. Oh god, they're ugly. I don't like the way they look. They don't look cool or weird or interesting. They look like a pile of spam in a in a in a suit. Um, but I got to their planet and I kind of did that quest where you. You know, you you find the guy who's giving them trouble, and you beat him, and you move on. So that's that's kind of where I was like, I've had enough of this. Are you past that, or where are you at? Oh yeah, I'm like about I think like thirty five hours or so in, and I have met the Angarans, and I've liberated or you know set outposts on like three planets, I think, and I've gone to another planet that or it's like an asteroid planet that you can't technically set an outpost on but i've done like all, everything else that i can do for it so i'm trying to do like i mean this is the kind of game where i like you know i mean in games in general if they're more open world and they're like here here's like 10 side quests and one main quest i always like do the side stuff first and that actually brings me to something that i wanted to discuss is that well not discuss heavily but uh one thing that i wanted to complain a little bit about 
is that uh, sometimes whenever you touch down on planets, um, like you're supposed to go down to the vaults on the planets and um, the vaults are kind of like dungeon segments where you have to like, you know, run through them and solve a little puzzle and they're supposed to make the planet more inhabitable. Like maybe it'll like lower the temperature on the desert planet a little bit or it'll like raise the temperature on like the ice planet a little bit so that you can set an outpost and, you know, people can actually thrive. And so like you have to activate three monoliths on every planet before you can go into the vault. And there was one planet where, because the vault is like the first thing I want to do whenever I get to the planet because it just seems like the most sensible thing to do is like get that out of the way and then like do some other side stuff and then move on to like whatever like main questy stuff is on the planet. And there's been a few occasions where like I went, I go down into the vault, but then I can't like access the last door in the vault. And I'm like, okay, well, why can't I do this? And then you have to like, complete some main quest stuff like on the planet itself before it's like oh we need you to go into the vault now so Uh, yeah and it's just dumb because like this is already this happened like two or three times where i like like they shouldn't they should just not let you in the vault at all because like you go down into the vault and you go all the way through the vault and you like get to the end of it and it's like oh you have to wait for the quest to trigger that you're supposed to get in the vault and i don't even understand why why it lets you go into the first place. And there's like another segment where there's like a big ship that's crashed and there's a door in it and you can get all the way up to the door, but you have to like wait for the game's quest to say that you're supposed to go through the door before the door unlocks. And I just, I don't really appreciate whenever it does stuff like that because it makes it very like, almost like fetch questy and very like trite. But I mean, it's not bad enough for me to like, you know, be like super duper annoyed, but it's just like, if you're going to set up a game that's kind of open world like that, either block off the whole segment so that I, you can't get 90% of the way through it before, you know, it blocks you off or just let me go through it at the beginning and don't block it off at all. And then like when I get to the, the to the quest where I have to do the thing later, just have the person be like, oh, cool, you already did this. Now we don't have to talk about it anymore. Yeah, that's really poor design, especially uh, when it comes to an open world or open world-ish like the way that, that Andromeda is. I mean... That that's just really really lazy. I mean, if you're gonna have the player do things like you said, like have them do those things first, have some kind of reason, have some mechanical reason, block it off, whatever. But if you're gonna give me an open world game and let me roam around, if I find a thing that I want to do, and honestly, why wouldn't you do that thing first? Once you figured out, like like story wise, once Ryder figures out, oh, we need to do this for each planet, it, of course you're gonna want to do that thing first when you get to the next planet. Of course you will. So why not let you do that? And then once that's good, of course, any player is going to, like, do the rest of the quests. I mean, you know, why wouldn't they? They bought the game. They're going to get the content out of it. So uh, that seems, like, really dumb. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sad. I'm sad that Mass Effect Andromeda is not good because I was a huge Mass Effect fan. Still a big fan of 1, 2, and 3. Still one of my favorite series. Um, but, I, you know, I'm sad that Andromeda did not live up to expectations uh, but I'm also kind of glad that I bailed on it because I think it'd be really sad for me to play through that and just see it be this like shadow of its former self I mean <laughs> I respect that if you're getting enough out of it to play you know no no, uh, no problem with that at all I mean if, it, if it, it's fitting you better it's fitting me go for it but man just really really disappointed in that and I know that they are not starting work immediately on a sequel which is great I hope that they take their time just let it sit like I mean I don't think it's, it's too late for that series um, I think they could easily come back strong but not if they put out a couple crappy sequels in a row. That would really put the final <laughs> nail in the coffin. I'm glad they're taking uh, taking the time out. Really examine what's going on. Don't copy Dragon Age Inquisition anymore. Do something that makes sense for the Mass Effect series. Do something that the fans would like. 
Uh, I'm still okay with it coming back at some point in the future, but not until they get their groove back. I don't want to see any more of this shit. Oh, geez. Well, I, I, I want to talk about a good thing that I like about it before we move on. Okay. Can I do that? Um, there's uh, the, the One of the things that I really like about this game is the way it handles um, your combat and class structure, because in previous Mass Effects, at the very beginning of the game, it's like, all right, you, you have like four or five classes to pick from, and there's like... The combat class that you know the soldier where it's like you can equip any type of gun but you don't really have like biotic powers and biotic powers are like kind of like magical powers and then there's like the biotic one where you get like the cool biotic powers and there's like the tech class where you can like build the drone that follows you and you can do like some tech abilities and stuff like that and what i really like about this game is that um like in previous mass effects you don't really know how that class choice is going to affect the rest of your gameplay because when i first played mass effect I was like, well, duh, I'm going to be the combat dude. Like, I want to use all the guns. This is, like, kind of a shooter after all. But it took me until, like, my... Th I've played the, Ma the original Mass Effect trilogy three times, and it took me my third time to go the biotic route. And, like, the biotic route is so much fun. Like, they're... Oh, my God, I love being biotic. Like, the freaking throw power where you just, like, throw the orb and it, like, shoots an enemy, like, really far. Oh, there's, like, nothing more satisfying than that. But what I really like about Andromeda is that you pick a class at the beginning, but you can switch your class at any point and you have basically every skill in the game. Like as you level up, you get skill points to put into skills and the first skill point on any skill unlocks a skill to use. And what I really like about it is that you can use anything. Like you can, you can buy every skill in the game and as long as you assign them to one of your three like little power buttons that you can use because you've got three to choose from um, and I think you can switch them at any point in the game, like even mid-mission. Um, you can do anything, and if you if you change a class, all that does is give you, like, a buff to, like, 30% biotic uh, power, you know, or recharge power, and it gives you, like, a bunch of buffs for, like, whatever kind of class you're going for. And, of course, I'm an adept, which is biotic, but I think it's really cool that you don't get tied down to a certain class that you have to deal with for the entire game, that you can switch whatever you want, you can switch whatever powers you want, you can buy every power in the game if you want, and the game is pretty generous about leveling up points because I'm kind of getting to the point where, I mean, I've probably only unlocked, like, maybe, like, 30 or 40% of the abilities, and I've kind of already got my, like, three that I'm stuck with for the game that I really like using all the time, and but being able to experiment with all the different kinds of powers and not being locked into a certain class for from the get-go for the entire game is really liberating and it's a really fun way to do combat that's not restrictive and it gives you a lot of freedom and it lets you really you know play the game how you want to play it for the entire game and i just really appreciate that about it that's interesting i see what you're saying i kind of I kind of fall slightly differently than that, though. Um, I found that system to be a little bit confusing and messy, and maybe that's just because I like to have things um, a little bit more compartmentalized when I play like a JRPG. Like I don't like I don't like RPGs where like your character or the characters of your of the characters that you're with, like they can become anything. Like you know, I like I like to have distinct classes and they'll have those separations or like you know sometimes some games will have like a skill tree that's common so like everybody ends up with the same powers or whatever like i don't i don't care for that and i didn't like it in andromeda i didn't like like so many choices and like being able to switch through anything i i don't mind respecting like i think if you you know like you said like when you start an rpg it's very hard to know what you're going to end up liking how those choices i mean one thing that sounds cool when you're looking at a menu screen might not ne be nearly as cool when you're out in the field using that power. So you you don't want to get locked into something. I mean, that's not a good that's not a good feeling. 
So like limited respec or something, you know, respec with 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 uh, you know some limits is fine. But like being out in the field and like oh first I'm a biotic and then I'm a soldier and then I'm a something something in the middle of a mission or just like rapidly changing that feels kind of messy to me. And that's just a personal preference. I mean I, I get why you would want to do that or being able to try all the different things. But to me that didn't didn't satisfy what I like um, when I go into RPGs. And that's just you know that's just me. That's my personal foible. I like uh, you know make a choice. Stick with it. Make that choice. Be kind of deep. Balance out your team because everybody else has different powers. You know, and, and you know, respect here and there if you need to, but not like just kind of free will whenever you feel like it. So, eh, that's just me. But I hear you. I hear you. Well, you know, I I don't know. I enjoy that, I guess. Probably because I'm not much of like a super RPG guy because like when I put in a game like Dark Souls and it's like, all right, here's 50 classes for you to choose from and here's a bunch of very distinct things that make each class different. Like, I do not want to have to like go to the internet and like look at a guide and like ask all my friends what I should do because I'm afraid to pick a certain class that I'm going to get locked out of a bunch of different abilities. So I appreciate the fact that Andromeda like lets me have it all. No, I hear that for sure. And I definitely agree. I don't like games where you get locked into something and you just don't even know. And then by the time you figure it out, it's too late. You got to restart or, you know, like back in the day. It was really common for people, and it probably still is too, but like people who would play RPGs, they'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to play for five hours or something, and then once I learn how the game works, then I will go back and play for real, which is like total bullshit. Like if I invest time <laughs> in a game, you know, give me a respec or give me a chance to, you know, change the choices that I made because I'm still learning your game. It doesn't do anybody any service to, you know, have things so limited from the get-go. So I, I see the appeal of it. I totally see the appeal of it. I think it's probably just like my... I don't know, my anal retentive side where I just, I like things to be like in neat little boxes sometimes. Uh, and just having things be so sloppy and messy. I just, I, I don't like it when <laughs> there's so much overlap between characters really bugs me a lot. So anyway, that's just, that's just me. That's me being weird. My personal foible. We all learned a little bit about Brad today and we're just gonna, we're just gonna move <laughs> on from here. Any, any last uh, updates on Andromeda? Uh, the only other last tidbit I could say is that, and this goes for like probably the, the whole trilogy and Andromeda itself is that one thing I'm getting really tired of is alien, um, character designs that are like not really that different from human designs. Like I get that a lot of species out there are, you know, shaped, you know, like a lot of insects look very similar, you know, with like six legs and a head and two eyes or something like that. But like, I, Mass Effect kind of makes a big deal about the fact that, or Andromeda at least, that it introduces this new race called the Angarans to the series, and then it introduces the Ket, which is new. But, like, you know, they unveil them, and it's like, oh, okay, both races have two legs, two arms, one head, two eyes, a nose, a mouth. And it's like, you know, yeah, they might be blue, or they might be green, or, you know, they might have some scales or something, or they might have, like, an eye patch. But it's like, I, I would prefer, like... Mass Effect has, like, the Elcor, which are, like, the elephant-looking dudes who have no tone of voice, so they have to speak their, their emotions. They say what emotion they're feeling before they speak their sentence. Or, like, the Hanar, which are, like, the, the jellyfish that, like, kind of float really high off the ground. Like, I, it w I would kill for one of those to be in my party, but it's, like, Mass Effect is so content on making characters and i mean like you know like star trek kind of does the same thing and you know like stuff like that like star wars where it's like you know here we're going to introduce like a new kind of species but it's just going to be like a bipedal thing with two arms and you know a, a one head and two eyes nose mouth and i just get kind of bored with that and i feel like that even with the old mass effects they don't 
they didn't take that nearly as far as they should have because pretty much everyone in your party is shaped exactly the same. And I, I just kind of get tired of that. And I wish that Andromeda would have gone a little bit further to maybe make the new races like a little bit different, but they're just pretty human-like and it's kind of boring. No, dude, I totally agree. I 100,000% agree. I find that to be a big problem in most sci-fi series in general because, you know, a lot of it is that people are afraid that if you make something too alien or truly alien, that people playing the game will not be able to identify, they won't be able to connect, they won't have feelings. I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, I know that's a big thing in film. I mean, film, whenever you look at any monster in film, they usually have at least a couple human traits so that audience members can identify. I'm sure it's the same thing in game design. But I'm with you, dude. Like, with the whole universe out there and all the, you know, the, the partially non-human, like you said, the Elcor and the Hanar before, like, I know a lot of people were upset that they were not in Andromeda uh, because they had fans. Even though they were not human, they had fans. There was stuff to like about them, and I think a good writer could make those those characters interesting. I think a good writer, writer could make uh, any alien interesting. I think it would be really great if you had a totally non-human teammate and maybe part of the game could just be fucking learning that character. Like, you don't... They don't have their predictable response. They don't say the things you think they're going to say. You, you know, their culture is wildly different. I think that would be amazing. And I think that's so rich. It's really disappointing to see that every time they introduce an alien, it's like it's like a human body with a weird face. And <laughs> you guys can totally bone if you want to. Go for it. It's like, no, man. Like, I mean, that's honestly one of the things that I think is really weird about Mass Effect is because I know people want to get in the pants of these alien characters. Um, that doesn't do it for me, like, at all. Like, I don't really want to have sex with the aliens i mean maybe the asari because they look pretty human they're just blue or whatever but like the other ones i'm like man you don't know what kind of junk they got down there what if it's <laughs> sharp or what if it's acidic or what if it's you know like it would be so cool to explore these other alien uh lives and you know there's so much more room for that but instead it's just like you end up being bros and you know you're, you're v they're very human regardless of what their face looks like they're still very human in their responses and their actions. It's really kind of dull. I, I totally agree. I wish you would have something that was really very, very alien, very unpredictable, very unfamiliar. And I think that in itself could be a draw or it could be a teammate where it just be would be so much more interesting to have somebody who was just not another human-like person. So, yeah, agreed. 100,000% agreed. <laughs> Cool. Well, I think that's it. I've talked a lot about Mass Effect. And you know what? I'm probably going to talk about it again in the future because... I'm Ugh. pretty damn sure that I'm going to finish this game. I'm only like 40% through with it right now, according to like the game completion percentage. But I think I'm in it to win it at this point. So uh, we'll, we'll come back. We'll come back later whenever I finish it. Oh, God. I'm going to load you up with review games so I will force you to get off of Andromeda and play something else. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I'm supposed to be reviewing Perception and I've been playing Mass Effect instead. So I'm like the worst games writer on the planet. Ugh. Uh, all right, we're going to take this <laughs> offline. You're up for disciplinary measures, sir. A um, couple more updates before we uh, get towards the end of the show. Um, I just wanted to give a quick update. I haven't played a lot of other significant uh, games this week. You mean I talked about Marvel vs. Capcom. That was a demo. Played Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time just for a little bit. Um, because Neo, which I talked about last time, has really been taking up the lion's share of my time. I'm really deep in that game now. Uh, more than like More than halfway. And that's a big game. It's a very substantial game. There's a lot of content. Uh, and there's also, like, a lot of side stuff that you can do. Not necessary, but you can participate in if you want to. And I'm doing, like, all the side stuff. Um, so I'm spending just, like, basically, like, all my free time on this game. Which is both a good and bad thing. Because I've really been wanting something to sink my teeth into for a while. So it's great that I can play this and I'm really getting into it. I'm, like, you know, really 
examining the systems and digging deep and like customizing my character and you know going for the extra stuff which is great i love that and i feel like it's been very rewarding on the other hand it you know it makes it difficult to like review a bunch of games it makes it difficult to do stuff for the show because i don't want to start something else because then i'm going to lose momentum in neo and i, I definitely want to finish that for sure i'm still uh, i feel like i'm a long ways off but i don't want to stop because it's so complicated and it's so I don't want to say it's difficult, but it demands a lot of attention. Like, you can't just half-ass it, because uh, in Neo, even the lowliest grunt can kill you if you're not paying attention. So you can't just sleepwalk your way through it. you got to stay sharp. And I feel like if I split my attention, I would start to run into trouble. Um, but I just want to give another shout-out to Neo. I think it's really good. <clears throat> I know a lot of people have been bouncing off of it, and it seems like the people who are the soul's uh, devotees are the people who are not liking it so much and maybe people who are not so married to souls are liking it more. I think a large part of it is the, the lore or lack of lore. Uh, in fact, I was talking to uh, Mike Susky today, friend of the show, Mike Susky, <laughs> and he is rapidly falling out of love with this game because he is a souls junkie and he is like a lore guy. Like I'm not a lore guy, but he definitely is a lore guy and he doesn't have enough to sink his teeth into in that regard. And he's, uh, you know, just not fighting enough to really push through and play. Whereas for me, um, I'm not a big Souls lore guy, so it doesn't bother me too much that Neo doesn't have a good story because the gameplay is really good. Um, and I, I know that people have been really, really hot and cold, which kind of surprises me because I expected to hate this game and I ended up really loving it a lot. I think there's a lot to like. I think the systems are great. I think um, just the, the character design is really strong. I think the monster design is really strong. Um, so I'm kind of surprised that it, it's been getting such middling, uh, you know, half and half reception. Um, one other thing that I think is really interesting is uh, when I talk to people who don't like it, uh, they often cite that the stamina system turns them off, which I find to be very interesting because to me, I feel like it's almost identical to what Souls does. And I, you know, a lot of people disagree with me with the, on that, but I just, I just don't see that much of a difference. In Souls, you have a stamina meter. Every time you take an attack or anytime you dodge, that stamina drops. And if you drop all the way down, then you cannot initiate an attack. In Neo, it's basically the exact same thing, except for if you drop all the way down, then you are stunned and helpless for a few seconds. But at the same time, you also have an, a mechanic where if you push a button at the right time, it gives you some stamina back. So it's a little bit different from Souls, but basically the same thing. And I just don't get why people are so, like so having such an allergic reaction to it um i don't know maybe if, if there's listeners out there who are listening who can maybe explain to me why they're so different or why one works for you and one doesn't i would love to hear about it because I'm, I'm talking to people and i'm just not hearing why it's so different it doesn't feel that different to me i mean it's a little bit more punishing if you run out of stamina and you you know you, you take a critical hit because you're stunned but at the same time you had to manage your stamina and souls. You have to manage your stamina here. It's the same mechanic. I don't, I don't get why people are saying it's so different. So, and I'm like, I don't know, 40, 50 hours into it. So it's not like I haven't played it. I mean, I've played it a lot and I just, I'm not seeing a difference. <laughs> so if anybody listening wants to enlighten me, I would love to hear about that. But otherwise I really recommend this. I, I was prepared to hate it because as we discussed last time, not a team ninja fan, but as the game goes on, really liking it a lot. I, I really appreciate all of the systems, all of the, the nuances to it. Um, I am not a person who can keep up with the typical Team Ninja boss, which is like batshit crazy, hyper fast, hyper deadly. I can't keep up with that. But they have uh, given lots of uh, measures that players can take. There's magic spells that slow people down. 
magic spells that uh, make them hit for less or that drain their stamina. So there's all sorts of things you can do if you want to, which I think is great. Shows they've really been thinking about different kinds of players, which has not been the case traditionally with Team Ninja. So I dig it. I really like it a lot. And uh, I, I definitely am going to try to finish it. I also have the DLC, which I may dip into. I heard the DLC is super hard. So I'm not up for super hard. But so far, it has not been super hard at all, I don't think. So we'll see. But I really, I really like it a lot. And I would recommend people who like that kind of combat, the stamina management combat or the third-person Japanese style, uh, you know, where, where combat really depends on frames of animation. Uh, or if you just like kind of like a semi-Diablo-like, a lot of loot drops, it gives you that same kind of like Diablo mental buzz when you're collecting stuff. I think it's good. I think there's a lot to like about this game. So I definitely would recommend it. Um, Sad to see that not every Souls player is getting into it, but, you know, not every game is right for every person, so that's okay. Uh, Corey, have you added this to your queue yet? I know you were maybe sort of kind of considering playing it at some point <laughs> in the future. Uh, I have not yet. Um, maybe I will think about it after I finish Mass Effect. I know that's going to make you really sad, but um, uh, Mass Effect first and then everything else later. That does make me sad, but no worries, no worries. I don't, you know, I don't think Neo will be your thing, honestly, but if you'd like Ninja Gaiden, maybe it will be, but we'll see. I would be curious to see how you, you shake down on that. But anyway, that has been taking up the most, uh, the lion's share of my time, um, by far. Uh, so I don't have a lot of other things to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, but I do have one last thing I want to give a shout out to. I haven't fired up my Vita for quite some time, but I found myself in need of something to play uh, portable that wasn't Marvel Puzzle Quest. And so I was reminded by Dan Weissenberger. He is a staff writer at Game Critics. He recently covered Senran Kagura Estival Versus for uh, Game Critics. He covered the PC version. We, we've talked about this uh, series on the show before, haven't we, sir? Yeah, this is the booby ninja game, right? Totally, totally. So I never ended up finishing Estival Versus, which is the second PS Vita game. I really liked it a lot, and I think I just got bogged down with some other review games that were really pressing. So I put it aside, and then one thing led to another. I'm sure every gamer knows how this goes. You mean to come back to something, something else pops up, you get distracted, and before you know it, six months go by, you haven't touched that first game. But I really love this series a lot. Um, I Not because of the boobs. I mean, I'm more of a butt guy, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, but I just like the writing a lot. Like I think the characters are so fun. And I think it's funny, and it's also serious, and it's also touching. And you would never expect that from a game where, looking at the surface, it's all just about the jiggle. I know a lot of people are put off by, um, you know, the boobage on display. And it, to be fair, it's over the top. Like, it is <laughs> it is ridiculously over the top. I mean, I'm trying to think of a game that has more boob action than this one, and I can't think of anything. I mean, this one is, is, is off the charts boobs. Um, but that's really not the draw. I mean, after a while, I forget that it's even a thing. And I'm more interested in seeing, like, what's going to happen with the next story events. Or, I mean, I think it even plays pretty fun. I really like the way it plays. Kind of like a bite-sized uh, Dynasty Warriors game, which I generally don't like. Dynasty Warriors. But this one is so short and so bite-sized. And each character controls so differently. I think it's, it's a pretty good fit for Portable. But I just like the writing a lot. And, and when I read Dan's review it really reminded me of how much I was enjoying this game. And so I did come back to it. Um, I would recommend it to anybody who a is not allergic to boobs because that's the biggest uh, hurdle to get over, like literally and figuratively. Uh, and, and B, if you just want something that's like, just got a really good story. Like I, I'm not a big 
anime game fan. I'm not a big, I'm not into JRPGs lately. I'm not into that scene lately. But something about this series, the writers have really dialed in on creating these characters and giving them personality and depth and building those relationships. And I think this is maybe the third or the fourth Senran Kagura game that I've played. And God, they just, the writers are doing such a great job. And honestly, they just really don't need to. Like, they could sell this game on the boobs alone and that would be fine. <laughs> but they just do such a fucking good job. And I, you know, I just want to put the word out there. If you want a really well-written story, like surprisingly well-written... And you'd be okay with a little Dynasty Warrior style gameplay. You'd be okay with a lot of boobs. It's such a, it's such a good game. I really wish more people would look into it. I know why they don't. I get it. I get it for sure. But there's a lot more to this series and this game in particular uh, than would lead one to expect. So don't let um, this particular book be judged by its cover uh, because it's got kind of a porno cover. Uh, but it's really, really good game. So just I'm getting back into that. I'm definitely going to finish it this time. I'm trying to do a couple missions a night. And I will get to the end of it eventually because I think it is worth it. So, yes, I don't imagine that you will probably dip into this one, Corey. No, I mean, first of all, I don't have a Vita and I don't do PC games very much. But this is like doesn't really seem up my alley, really. I don't think it's up your alley either. So let's just cross this one off and we'll just (laughs) say we'll agree to not talk about this one again. But, uh, yeah, it's really (laughs) it's really good. And I, I give it a shout out. So if you got a Vita and you want something that's surprisingly well written, check it out. And if you like boobs, you're going to be in boob heaven. So that's a that's a plus or a minus, but it's a plus I think probably for most people who would be into this sort of thing to begin with. So, ah oh, man, are you doing okay? Because I'm kind of tired. How are you doing? Uh yeah, I'm kind of tired, but I'm okay. I think I took a really long nap earlier, so uh, I was expecting that to power me through the night. And so far, it's been successful. All right. I did not take a nap, so I am running out of juice. I think now that we have gotten to the end of our game chat, let us get to the listener comments and then let us bring it home. Uh, and then uh, I'm probably going to pass out post haste immediately. So uh, let's just jump into it earlier uh, today and yesterday. I asked listeners of the show via Twitter, uh, since it's now summertime, I was wondering what game reminded uh, people the most of summer and why so we got some good responses i love getting feedback from the listeners uh let's just jump into these and discuss as appropriate Corey, why don't you please sir take the first one this one is from this is an excellent username grab from you brad this is from everybody's tema do you know who this person is um they've commented a few times or i mean i think i've talked to them on twitter a few times but i don't know what their real name is all right their uh, their twitter handle is x-t-e-m-m-a and their response is Dead or Alive Extreme 3. Need I say more? Speaking of booby games. Yeah, man. That's not the volleyball one, though, is it? I was, I'm surprised they didn't say the volleyball one, because that one is just like pure summertime TNA. But yeah, Dead or Alive, I think, is a good pick. Uh, let's see here. Uh, next comment comes from John H., who is Gangsta 187 <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dude. I, lo- I love that name. That is, that is classic. Um, he says, going outside, no wait, Animal Crossing, more bugs, fish, and events make Animal Crossing summers more eventful than most real summers. So I, I have dipped into Animal Crossing in the past. What about you, sir? Uh, yeah, I used to play the hell out of Animal Crossing on GameCube. Um, I haven't, I played a little bit of the first one that was on DS, but uh, I haven't played anything since then. But uh, I mean, to John, there's nothing more gangsta 
than playing Animal Crossing. So that is for that is for damn sure. <laughs> that is for damn sure. <laughs> God, I love that GameCube version, man. I've I've played every one, but I think the GameCube one is the one I spent the most time on. I got really deep into that, and in fact. Uh, at the time, you could even buy like a special disc that would unlock a lot of the items because I just got so tired of like waiting for those items to show up. I wanted to finish my citrus room where it was like I had a table <laughs> and my bed and my floor and I had to have my citrus. And I'm like, man, I'm never getting these things and I can't trade. So I got this little cheat disc where you could put it in your GameCube and it unlocked every fucking thing. Oh, so boy. that was that was good times. Good times. What's the what's the next one, Corey? This is from Adam, who is as realist on Twitter, uh, says Super Mario Sunshine. I always feel like playing this during the summer. Ah, oh, I hate Mario Sunshine. Did you like Mario Sunshine? Did you play it? Uh, Mario, okay, so on the last show, or maybe the two before shows, I said that the last Super Mario game I had played was Super Mario 64. That was a lie. It's the last game that I finished. I did play Super Mario Sunshine for like an hour and stopped. Um, I was very young whenever that came out because that was a long time ago. But um, I did play it, and obviously you can tell how much I liked it because I only played it for, like, about an hour, and then I was just like, no, this is not really that great. Or maybe I was getting, like, too cool for Mario at that stage of my life and moved on. But I never never finished it, didn't play it much more than about an hour. All right. I, I hear you. I hate Mario Sunshine. I think it's garbage. Um, I get the summer connection, so that's a good pick. Because you're on an island, it's you know it's tropical or whatever, like lots of sunshine and beach, like that. That's a good, good sensible pick. Uh, but man, that game was just crap. I'm, I mean, I hope nobody <laughs> likes that game because it's awful. Camera's awful. The gimmick was awful. It was like to me, like probably one of the worst Mario games, if not the worst. Um, although to be fair, I haven't played Mario Paint or anything. I don't know if you count those like really out there Mario games. But if you're talking about like the mainline series, I did not like that one at all. Um, but also. Speaking of Mario Sunshine, Seth Byrne, at Seth Byrne, uh, name drops Mario Sunshine as his pick for summertime game as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I get it. Don't like it, but I get it. Uh, <laughs> what, what's next, Corey? Uh, Drew Rowland, friend of the show, uh, at DrewBrew82 on Twitter, says, MMORPGs. Every summer, me and the boo usually get sucked <laughs> into one. The past two summers have been Final Fantasy 25. Is that the right 20, one? 25. I believe uh, it's 25. <laughs> but this year, we may hit up ESO Morrowind. Uh, usually, nothing exciting comes out over the summer, and that's why. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, good time to do an MMO. I've never played one, but if I was going to play one, I would definitely want to play it when there was nothing else going on, for sure. Uh, next comment comes from Thief of Hearts, one of my favorite people on Twitter. Good old Thief of Hearts. He says, an oldie, The Adventures of Willie Beamish, which was on PC and Sega CD, which is about a kid on a summer vacation trying to compete in a video game championship. This is a deep cut. I remember seeing this <laughs> in, like, Blockbuster video. And, you know, I don't think I ever played it, but I did have a Sega CD. And I think I must have considered it at some point, but I've never tried it. Have you ever tried The Adventures of Willie Beamish? I have not. And a Sega CD and Sega Saturn are two of, like, only... I, I've only skipped a couple of game consoles over my entire lifetime, or a few, maybe. And the, the Sega CD and Sega Saturn are two game consoles that I never had. Well, you know, you're not really missing out on much. I know some people may gasp in horror by saying the Saturn wasn't all that, but it really wasn't all that. I mean, I have one, and I think I have maybe, like eight games for it like it just uh it, there were not that many good games on it I, it was 
it was trying to be something that it was not. Um, it did not do 3D very well. There's not a lot to play. Sega CD, the exact same story. I played Snatcher on it, which is like one of my favorite games. Uh, but other than that, there was like a bunch of like really shitty uh, FMV games and a couple of JRPGs, which I found to be really boring. And I know that some people are like, oh my God, but Lunar was on Sega CD. I found Lunar to be really boring, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feelings. I'm sorry if I'm crushing your dreams. <laughs> um, but yeah, neither of those systems did you miss out on anything. So, uh, what's next? What is, what's next, Corey? Next comment. This one is from Bradley Keen, who is at Cheap Boss Attack on Twitter. Uh, says, when I think of summer, I think of being hot. Uh, haha, I feel like there's a sexy joke in there somewhere. Um, but when I think of games that make me feel hot, it's always <laughs> desert shit like Journey. And deserts don't remind me of summer. It's definitely easier to associate games with winter. That's kind of an interesting take on the question. That is, yes, uh, that's an interesting response. Did not foresee that. And uh, it seemed like he was setting up for a pretty good joke there, but then he kind of got serious at the end. So, uh, <laughs> so cheap boss attack. If you want to send us in a sex joke next time, we'll finish that up next time. Oh, dear. Opening the door for it. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, final comment comes from uh, good man William, who is W. Shawnee W. I guess that's how you pronounce that, huh? W. Shawnee uh, yeah, W. I think that's about as good as we can get. But he's got the Welsh. Is it Welsh spelling? Gaelic uh, spelling? What is what the proper said. term? Uh, I think he said Welsh, like S-I-O-N is Welsh for Sean, but pronounced like Sean in the U.S., I think is what he said. Yeah, yeah. So W. Shawnee W., uh, good man, that William. He says, me and a couple of mates played the shit out of this one summer during the college break. Always reminds me of summer holidays. And he had a picture in his Twitter, and it was International Track and Field, which I believe was on the NES. And if I remember correctly, it was one where you had a, um, I guess, a dance pad, I suppose. Like one of those really crappy, thin plastic dance pads that you plugged into your uh, NES, and then you would just like run like an like a crazy person you know just like jamming your feet up and down on those little um you know i don't know contact points or whatever on the pad um i never i think i played this without the pad because i think you could just jam on the a and b buttons and it was like basically uh button mashing the game like there wasn't really a lot to it did you ever play international track and field oh hell yeah i played this game back in the day did you have the pad uh, I did. I don't think I still have it. Or maybe, I can't remember what the situation was around it. Maybe I like was like a friend had it and brought it over or something. But yeah, I totally played this game with friends during the summer when I was like, god damn, I must have been like 10 or something. Maybe like 8. I don't know. But yeah, totally, totally played this game. Loved it. It's ridiculous, but it's a lot of fun. So were you like in your socks, like just like running like a crazy person on that pad in front of the TV? Yeah, like, you're basically just like standing on the pad, like stomping your feet as quickly as you possibly can to like complete like the 100 meter dash and like the four by four and stuff like that is totally ridiculous. Yeah. OK, cool, cool, cool. All right. Good. Uh, good pick, William. Good. And thanks to everybody for those uh, titles of summer. That was some uh, interesting picks. And some of these were kind of unusual, unexpected for sure. So. <laughs> As always, we always love to get your comments and feedback. Um, but now, that brings us to the end of the show, which is good, because I am running out of juice. Uh, I need to go to fucking bed. It's late. <laughs> and this is a long show. But, you know, when we started this show, I don't know if we ever mentioned this, but when we started the show, I think we originally were shooting for like an hour, weren't we? Like Or like a 45 minutes or something like that? Oh, yeah. Like, in our original, like, conception of the show, we were like, all right, we're going to do like one hour of games talk, no bullshit, get in, talk about the games, get out, and now look where we are. I know. It's like a saggy, bloated mess where we have like 45 minutes <laughs> of bullshit like nothing but bullshit actually 
and a bunch of banter, and then we get to the games at some point, and then it just goes on for like days and days. Uh, funny how things evolve and grow over time, but here we are. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, before we go, we would like to remind you that you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to at, uh, okay, no, there's no at. Send them to, <laughs> sorry, this gets confusing. Send them to sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter as a show, as a collective, at sovideogames. And you can also reach us individually on Twitter. Corey, your handle is? It is my first and last name, Corey Motley, which is C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And I am also on Twitter as my name, at Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. And with that, that will bring us to the end of another So Video Games. Um, Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. Send us your comments and feedback, as always. Catch us on Twitter if you like. We will see you next week with another episode. But in the meantime, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. Bye.